0: Alrighty, thanks for listening to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot them out from their early years to how they got to where they are now. You know the drill, I hope. Well, if you don't, welcome. Um, first on listener, then welcome. Help you. Hope you check out the uh, other episodes. Hope you dig what you hear. Um, if you're a long-term listener, episode 26, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for checking it out. Um, just a big old thanks fest all around, I guess. Cool. Okay. So... Um, what's going on? Today's episode, well, yeah, today's episode, uh, Mark Muldray. Um, not generally in the umbrella of guests, um, kind of from the background of guests that I usually have on the podcast, something a bit different, um, but I've known Mark for about, I think we mentioned the podcast, anyway, we do, 15 years I've known Mark for, um, talented, talented human, um, can sing, can play guitar, Um, And I think he's got a really, really cool story to tell, which is why I initially asked him yonks ago. But, um, you know, we finally made it happen as these things take time to kind of, I guess, you know, find the right time to sync up. And he's got three young kids and I've got one young kid. And, you know, life life doesn't stop for anyone and gets in the way and all that kind of jazz. And, yeah, so, yeah, I mean... one, one heads up um, um, Mark's fourth song Literally goes for 26 minutes 26 minutes and some change So if you're a true head And you want to listen to the whole thing Then I applaud you But Mark and I will not be offended uh, If you decide to listen to the first 30 seconds And then go Okay, I get where this song's going And then Press the hell out of the uh, skip button until you hear speaking again. Because, you know, if you're not that dedicated, that's cool. I understand that. Um, If you are, then again, hats off to you. Um, Yeah, look, if you like what you hear and you think this episode's worth a dollar, then it's always appreciated, but never expected. Uh, Head over to paypal.me slash myagepodcast, M-Y-A-G-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, spell it out, Um, and donate a buck, or don't, it doesn't matter, you know, donate more, don't donate at all, that's okay, it's all good, Um, yeah, really hope you dig what you hear, and if you listen to this on the day it came out, then um, thanks for not playing Red Dead Redemption, thanks for sparing a bit of the day and uh, listen to this instead of playing video games because you'll probably be up all night I know I'll be up all night on Friday night playing the fuck out of Red Dead Redemption pretty, pretty, pretty excited Um, if you haven't got your Resist Records 20th anniversary tickets I strongly recommend you get them soon because a fuckload of them have sold Um, I don't know the exact numbers but I think a fuckload is the you know, the guesstimate of uh, how many tickets have sold um, and you really don't want to miss that shit because fucking last nerve of playing a show and it's going to be fucking sweet. So, just to, I guess, add a bit of context to the episode, um, I asked Mark what kind of song is a perfect jumping off platform to, um, you know, get your head around where he's coming from for context and that kind of thing. And he suggested, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the opening track to his. Latest, which still came out 2013, um, album. Uh, the first song is "Everything I Need Is Here." Um, it sums up the conversation really well that we have later on in the episode. So, if you listen to this song now at the end of the episode, it'll all make it'll all kind of come full circle. And even with Mark's last choice of song, um, kind of, it makes you go, "Yeah, well, that that all kind of makes sense. It comes together well." So, yeah. Um, If you... Yeah, if you dig what you hear, let me know. Keep me posted. Um, tell a friend. Tell a... Tell a relative. Because they're two different things. Most of the time. Um, my sister will never hear this. But it's her birthday today. So... Well, the day this comes out. October 26th. So if you know her, you know, shoot her a little message. Say Joel said happy... Well, say you said happy birthday. And that Joel mentioned you on the podcast, you'll get a kick out of it. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. Um, enjoy. As I said, 26 minutes, song number four, so that's why the episode's probably half, like it looks very, very long, but it's because it's a 26-minute song. Feel free to skip fuck out of it, um, although it is actually, it's fun to listen to, but yeah, feel free to skip it if they're that kind of, you know, that way inclined. And, yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Oh, before I go on, one last thing. I'll share Mark's uh, socials, so if you're interested in in checking him out, uh, you can look at the notes in this episode, or you can go to the My Age podcast uh, Facebook page, and I'll post all his links there so you can listen to other stuff and read. Actually, yeah, read the tour diary that he mentions at the end of the episode. Um, And there's a photo that we mentioned, which is... Hopefully it's on his... I'm sure it's on his tour diary, which is a really, really cool photo. Uh, yeah, anyhow, I'm rambling on. My Age Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, um, mm, paypal.me slash myagepodcast if you think it's worth the dollar.
1: Kill!
2: dawn, the curtains drawn, I hear you breathing low, a dog over the hill and a train far away, and everything I need is here. Birds, the smoke it fills the room. The echo of your voice through the kitchen walls, and everything I need is here. Everything I need is here. I've made my bed of roses. What I need. of blood Flames whisper as you sleep Vanish in the embers as the sky congeals to black And everything I need is here Oh, oh, won't you rock me gently as I sleep tonight Cause everything I need is here
0: Episode 26 of the My Age podcast uh, with me, a guy I've known for, look it's not 20 years but it'd be about 15, at least 15 years.
3: It'd have to be 15.
0: Yeah, one of the first people I started working with on the sunny central coast uh, when I moved up here, um, Mr. Mark Muldray. How are you Joel? Good mate, how are you? I'm very well. It, it took a long time to get us started this, we're probably an hour and a half past our start time but that's okay, it's yep. all fun.
3: We've we've been chatting a lot. There's already stories flowing.
0: There's heaps of stories flowing, which is which is a beautiful thing. And no gin yet. Did you bring anything? I, didn't, just bring any, I didn't bring any gin. Right, I've got my um. You've got my you're set. My devil's <laughs> my devil's drink can of V, and we'll go. <laughs> so, you've heard obviously. So we talked earlier. Um, you've heard a couple of episodes. I have. You bizarrely enough, it. yeah, bizarrely enough, you knew Wade or or like have run not run ins is the right word because it sounds ominous but you've kind of crossed paths with Wade Kieran. I've crossed
3: paths. I've met him, yeah, yeah. maybe a couple of times because because I'm a, I'm a regular at, at Love Hurts, which is the studio next to where Wade's often working. Yeah. So we cross paths usually maybe at the front or in the car park or something, say yeah. quick hello.
0: Which is, you know, my two worlds... No, two of two my worlds, worlds colliding. Yeah, yeah. 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 See. All right, so you've had a listen. Um, without sounding too crass, let, let's get into it. Let's go. Um, your. What are you like? Are your parents musical? Like, tell tell us about the early years of Mark Muldre and the Muldre family. My
3: my dad is is kind of a, a very typical European kind of chap. His musicality as a kid or growing up was that his mum forced him to play the piano accordion. Um, the piano accordion, the not piano just the piano. The piano accordion. Wow. Yeah, I don't know whether he ever really enjoyed that, but as a kid, that was really the only instrument that I remember that was in the house and that he could play.
0: Did he? Did he grow up in Australia?
3: No. So he grew up in Estonia.
0: I did um, not know this. Okay.
3: Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Straight away, stories you <laughs> yeah. haven't heard before, yeah, even after all this time. Yeah. No. Um, Dad was born in Estonia, and his brother. Um, and they escaped very um, – when Dad was very young, probably maybe three or four years old. Okay. Uh, during This was during the World War II and there was um, – well, Estonia was losing its independence. I think it was Russia who finally um, sort of took over Estonia and they left in a boat in the middle of the night and made their way to Australia with nothing but – Two suitcases, one of which I still own, which was a timber suitcase That's made amazing. by my grandfather. Yeah. And not even a pillow. So just two suitcases, family of four. My grandfather, from what I understand, was in, had been kind of moved from his, whatever position he had in the Estonian army or the police force or something, had had to become or been forced to join the German army. And things must have got really dicey when. Russia invaded and a lot of people were being sent off to concentration camps and so on and so forth and they had to escape. And it must have, they, they escaped by hiding in a, in a small boat that was then joined up on a, on a larger boat and they made their way to Australia not knowing anybody or what was going to happen at, at the other end. So
0: many questions. <clears throat> okay, so why Australia?
3: Do you know what? I've never – I've actually never asked that question. Wow. That's, probably, that's probably one I should have asked my grandma – um, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what made them pick Australia. Um, maybe because other friends were going and it was a, a safe, viewed as a, maybe a safe destination. Yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, Australia was where they picked.
0: And does your dad remember much of it? No.
3: No, no I don't think he remembers much of that at all. It doesn't doesn't talk about that sort of stuff much either. My dad's always been really... I've, it's really funny. Like I, Here I am now well into my 40s and I'm only learning stories about my dad now because my dad's always been so quiet about stuff. And yeah. I usually find stories out about my dad through other people, through his brother or through my mum or, you know, never dad. He doesn't talk much about his, his past at all.
0: That's, that's insane.
3: Yeah. So it was, a, it was an interesting start for him as a kid, sort of coming from so far away and then just being dumped into Paddington. You know, so they, yeah. they, that was where they, they lived in a... In a in, I, I don't know exactly where they went to straight away. I think it was some kind of camp... Like a refugee kind of situation. Yeah. And then they were housed. What year
0: a, are we talking? Like early uh, sorry, late forties?
3: Yeah, it would probably well it'd probably be thereabouts. Late forties. Yeah, yeah. I'd say late forties. So, yeah. Yeah. So it was uh it would have it would have been a scary time for them. And and my dad ended up being the I guess, you know, growing up in Australia and coming from that kind of background and having very, very European type strict and uh you know a strict kind of upbringing with his parents yeah um dad did the classic you know rebel refugee Good. rebel okay yeah, yeah. yeah and he was kind of more like uh you know hanging out with probably the people my grandparents wouldn't have wanted him to be spending time with
0: did he did he know english coming over or did it was no it just like he would a have a crash course when he landed it would have
3: been a crash course wow. yeah so he's always spoken estonian and as a kid i grew up Listening to him speak that language you never to took my grandparents. No, I never, I never took it on. Okay. I didn't hear it enough. I, but w- if we would go to visit my grandparents, he'd be, he'd be speaking that language. Yeah. So wow. yeah. So he he grew up kind of, and then as he got older, I guess hanging out with guys who surfed. You know, my dad got right into the surf scene and yeah. spent a lot of time at, at, at Bondi and and you know riding a mall and he sort of got into surfing. Yeah, but he was definitely wrong side of the tracks for a while there with the people he was hanging around with. And he ended up spending some time in jail. He was stealing cars and. Heavy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, he ended up in Long Bay for a while, I think just after he met my mum. Okay. Yeah. For, and I, do you know, the, I've only discovered this stuff recently. Like this has only been in the last few years that I found this out about my dad. And I only got detail off mum as to how long he was there and when exactly it was only in the last few months. Mum sort of filled me in on a little bit of that. So, yeah, dad's always remained very tight-lipped about that that kind of stuff.
0: My my jaw is dropping. <laughs> Just yeah. dropping. And I guess for con- – like, well, to understand why my jaw drops, I guess you'll have to fast forward to – well, not fast forward, but listen through to the end of your story. Yeah, because from what I know of you, like I couldn't have written, like I couldn't have guessed in a million years. Yeah, that, well, that was your, that was the like your parent, your dad's upbringing. story. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
3: even if you see my dad now, he's like the he's like the calmest, you know, most placid guy that you could ever meet. Back then, he was really angry. I mean, there's a story about my dad, which I've been told a, f- a few times, where he was just sitting in the traffic lights in his car and the ute in front of him didn't take off at the lights. The guy stalled or whatever it was, you know. And, 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 As you and do. Yeah, yeah, he just stopped. And dad jumped out of the car, jumped into the back of this guy's ute and started kicking in his back windscreen.
0: Wild.
3: Wild. Whereas if you met my dad now you'd and you heard that story, you'd just be kind of shocked. You'd be like, Wow, I can't. Ima- I can't imagine you in a million years even raising your voice, which is how I grew up with my dad. He barely raised his voice, but yeah, obviously as a kid, you know. And I, I, I guess it, it comes to it comes down to too that he was probably maybe had a tough upbringing, maybe bullied a little bit. Yeah. European in an in an in an Australian country where as a little kid didn't even speak the language, and
0: you kids, know, just re- just rebelled. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. is mind-blowing. Oh, wow. So like, straight away, there you go. Um, What did he go in for? Do you know?
3: I think it was car theft. Okay. Yeah, so it, I think there was quite a few cars.
0: Do you think it ever affected him <laughs> in, his, in his later life? I don't think so. Like, does it? Does no, that?
3: Yeah, okay. I mean... No, I think maybe my dad's... I mean, sorry,
0: not like going to jail, did that ever affect him? Did, like, no. did that ever put up roadblocks? It probably made things
3: difficult for my mum and dad's early relationship because I think he just started going out Dating. with yeah, yeah, I think it was all early days. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe from that point of view it w- was hard for him then, definitely coming out. But I don't think by the time I was born and growing up, I think it was all mostly kind of forgotten and mum and dad just moved on.
0: He chilled out? And
3: then it wasn't ever talked about.
0: <laughs> so wild. Okay. Yeah,
3: so from a musical point of view, there wasn't much going on, just piano accordion. Now he plays a range of instruments and he's, he's, he listens to a lot of music. And he, did, he listened to a lot of music when I, by the time I was growing up. Yeah. But, yeah, it was the piano accordion. That
0: was it. And what about your mum?
3: Mum came from a small country town. So um, Okay, yeah. So mum was Australian. Yeah. yeah. Born in uh, Nambucca Heads. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and lived there till she was about – now, she came from a family of ten. So it was a big family, not in a large house and not a lot of bedrooms. Yeah. So the kid mum, – mum remembers the kids sleeping in like um, – sleeping in draw like chests of drawers. Wow. As babies. They'd open the drawers up and, you know, yeah. li- line, line a couple it. of kids up in the, in the drawers. Yeah, because they didn't have enough beds and enough space. Wild. Yeah, um, Mum did not enjoy living in a small country town. By the time she was a teenager, I think she left home at about sixteen, okay, and moved to Sydney,
0: just straight to the big smoke.
3: Yep, straight to the big smoke, and then of course met refugee Estonian surfer dude, <laughs> surfer dude, yeah, dude, yeah, wow. yeah. So that's that's kind of their backstory, and I think Mum met Dad. She might have, he might have even been her first or second boyfriend. Yeah, 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 and then, then I think after they met, then Dad ended up in prison, and Mum obviously waited. That's awesome. Know? Yeah, so yeah. meant how, to be. Was it?
0: Sorry, was he stint
3: a while or? I think it was a while. Yeah, yeah. For, Mum didn't say exactly how long when I had this more recent conversation with her, but yeah, I think it was a while. That's so good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, like it's it's not good that he went to jail. I will never condone that, but obviously <laughs> the backstory is so fantastic. Yeah,
3: I, I'm surprised I haven't ever mentioned any of that to you before because yeah you think but have you some mentioned it to it many been.
0: other people Like, do you think you have yeah,
3: mentioned it? yeah. i think it's probably come up before in work environment yeah, yeah so i think it, to some degree it has maybe after you maybe i didn't find it out until after you you yeah. gone and you were working more on than the weekends and we didn't yeah. get to catch up as much
0: yeah our piles didn't cross as much yeah okay so where do they settle like, we live on the central coast, so it's like an hour and a half-ish north of Sydney.
3: N- no, so they actually were a long time in Sydney. Yeah. You know? So okay. mum and dad were living eastern suburbs. Yep. They were living around, um, I guess, Bondi, Clues, yep. Rose Bay, all those, all those kind of areas. And, and moving around a little bit, they were just renting okay. with a couple of young kids. Yeah, so they – uh, up until about the age of 10, we were, we were living on um, in the eastern suburbs – and Mum and Dad's musical, like if I if I think you know, and that's obviously what some of this is about. But if I think back to some of Dad's musical, what he was listening to at the time, and yeah. as we were growing up, and what shaped. Eventually, you know, this is the this is always the thing that I love with music. You know, I talk about this stuff all the time. I hated what my dad listened to when I was at home as and I was a kid. Okay, I wasn't interested. You know, not much at all. I loved the Beatles, who dad didn't like so much. I don't know how I found my way to the Beatles. Yeah, that'll be
0: interesting. Yeah,
3: dad didn't have a lot of that sort of stuff at home. But when he was a kid, he was listening to heaps of the Beach Boys. He was a massive, massive Beach Boys fan. Heaps of Roy Orbison. Okay. All the surf bands like Jan and Dean, like he he was a massive Jan and Dean fan. I can remember those songs like Little Old Lady from Pasadena and Dead Man's Curve and all these kind of old fifties surf songs. Yeah, like Surfer Girl and Beach Boys stuff. I get around and Little Deuce Coop and all that stuff. I remember those songs really clearly from from being a kid because Dad would play them, and he was he would have still been playing older records. I was born in '70, so Dad was still playing those '60s records by the time I was born. And Roy Orbison, heaps of Roy Orbison, one of the main ones I remember in his collection because that had an okay vinyl. Yeah. He had some stuff Cut in there that I couldn't listen to but there was some okay stuff and it, it got me into Dylan. He had Highway 61 revisited. He had some Simon and Garfunkel yeah. who I still listen to t- today yeah. and and uh, the Beach Boys, you know, and those, those bands, Roy Orbison, Bob Dylan, the Beach Boys, I still love. I still go back to that stuff. Yeah. Now, didn't like it at all then. Yeah, thought I can it, imagine. Thought it was terrible at the time.
0: So nothing, there was no, without sounding like a complete idiot, there was no traditional Estonian music in his mix? No, I guess it'd no. be, it might be a get out here, but... No, but he, like, he,
3: he did have some, like some some of Dad's other taste was, you know, very much of the time. and Yeah. You know, I can remember some of those... Um, uh, hooked on classics kind of albums in dad's collection where it would be more like kind of... Dad did like some very European-type classical music. Okay. And then, you know, as time progressed, by the time we got to about the late 70s, there were those really dubious classical records that got put to disco beats.
0: Oh, right. I (laughs) I remember dad
3: having those, you know, so... Yeah, d- d- Dad had some good taste there in his record collection. Some stuff yeah. that I that I can still to this day really really enjoy. And then there was there was some of that classical stuff that
0: just, just sweet old and new. Year, Ktel right? Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dino Records. Those compilation stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Some
3: of some of that stuff was in there.
0: Awesome. That's <laughs> and <laughs> Mum, was she was music on her radar much or?
3: Probably not as much as dad and mum probably yeah. just probably tended to listen to whatever was what – was like I, I, if I remember back and think to mum talking about music or pointing out specific musical tastes, I can't remember mum having really specific ideas. Yeah. I think she'd like things that were on and have yep. opinions about a song or, a, or an artist or something but she wouldn't go out of her way to go yeah. you know, adding to a musical collection, no. Yeah, cool. Yeah,
1: that's
0: so good. All right. So before we talked about this, before we sorry hit record, you mentioned you've got a whole bunch of, you got a whole bunch of songs for each category. Yep. Before you tell us what you picked, yep. Tell us what you didn't pick.
3: Okay, I had a, I had a list of a, a few things that were at least straight away remind me of dad. The the and I, some of them were just lists of people, but I you know Roy Orbison. Obviously there were songs like Blue by You that reminds me of my dad straight away, crying, um, pretty paper. Okay. not not just reminding me of my dad but that reminds me of my grandma she used to i learned to play that song on the guitar for her okay and you know she'd uh, she'd request like if i can jump forward for a second yeah, go well, for now it. that i've mentioned yeah, yeah, that yeah. song there was a, <laughs> later on when my grandma had gotten much older and i was starting to do gigs and i was now in well well into my 20s i'd say yeah um i had a gig where i invited my grandma to come i just released my first album and i was like i'm gonna do this cover i know my grandma's coming and I'm going to do this song on my own, and I'm going to do Pretty Paper for my for my grandma because I used to sing it to her when I was a kid and she'd sing it to me when I was little and yep. it's a story that she always loved and somehow it, the song meant a lot to her. Yeah. So, you know, I make this uh, announcement that I'm going to do this song for my grandma to the audience and,
0: and she's in the crowd. She's
3: in the crowd. Yep. She's come specially. She's all dressed up, you know. But she's well; in, she'd be well into her sort of late seventies, probably by this point, yeah. Maybe even early eighties. Um, and <laughs> I play the song, and at the end, you know, I, I say again, "That was for that was for my nana, who's here tonight." Yeah. You know, and she stands up, you know, and everyone's clapping, and she looks around at everybody and takes a little takes bow. It in, yeah, you know, takes you know, she she bowed a couple of times and looked around and she's clapping and smiling. And then at the end of the at the end of the gig, I go up to my grandma and I say, <laughs> I say to her, Nana, did you enjoy what did you think of Pretty Paper? Did you enjoy it? And she just looked at me with this blank face and went, Are you going to play Pretty
0: Paper? Oh wow. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, she had
3: no recollection at all that I'd even played the song. What? And I said, But you stood up and bowed and looked around at everyone and she went oh i know but she, she didn't know what it was for
0: yeah she just heard the name and went yeah i'll take it yeah that's <laughs> me <laughs>
3: awesome wow so yeah i there were some songs i had there didn't pick i, I was so thinking maybe, you go on yeah
0: how did how did your nan get into roy alberson probably through Again, my like pr- music. probably through my dad okay yeah, i reckon
3: yep. that came from dad because dad was a big roy alberson fan yep. yeah so i reckon that's what that's where that came um, and then I had, there were some songs from Jan and Dean that I remember as a kid. Didn't go for those. Uh, the Beach Boys was the one I went for. Okay. One, because Dad surfed all the time. Yep. That was the band that probably he talked about more than any other okay. th- that I remember. And I remember one particular album that Dad had on vinyl in, in his collection that I used to play a lot and that just I hear and it reminds me of, of Dad. And I went out and actually searched for, the, for that copy with that cover. And oh, b- border on vinyl press. myself. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Man, you get, to, you get to this age and you start getting nostalgic oh, and you think, oh, I, I want imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I want to have this stuff. Dad got rid of most of his vinyl, like everyone did. Yeah. You know, around mid mid to late 80s, everyone started
0: trading for CDs. Yeah, yeah.
3: started getting rid of it. So, anyway, in the end, I was trying to pick between I get around yep. by the Beach Boys and Surfer Girl. I went for Surfer Girl because cool. it just it just reminds me of dad. <laughs>
0: I'd never, I'd never heard that song before. I don't know. I'm not. I've, look, I'm not going to be the last person to say I'm a big Beach Boys fan because I like the hits, as most people do. Yeah. But you were saying when we listened to it, that was an earlier version. Like, is that like an early? Sorry, that comes earlier in their discography. Yeah, yeah. Is that what all their earlier stuff was like? Like really slow? No, no, no.
3: There were still definitely lots of fast surf songs. Okay. I picked that. I picked that one probably because the melancholy ones often stick with me. I've, yeah. I've got a thing with melancholy music. The music yeah, yeah and, I, and i love that kind of sad tone of brian wilson's voice and that song brings back memories for me so yeah, yeah that that's the reason for picking that one
0: yeah it's i mean it's a fantastic song yeah yeah um but you were saying what were the other ones you could have picked i get around i get around that one reminds me a lot of of
3: and, you know, Good Vibrations, that yeah. one reminds me a lot of being at home and listening to Dad. And I could have picked that, but everyone's heard that a million times before. Or Little Deuce Coop, you know, the, those because Dad talked about those cars too. You know, And when he was a kid, yeah. when I look at photos of Mum and Dad, the, they had cars, those that, cars were of there. that era. Yeah. yeah, so, you know.
0: Was there a lot of, like, was music a... How would I put it? Was music always on around the house or was it like only like Saturday nights when people come over for dinner or?
3: No, music was on. Okay. Yeah. They they, they did tend to play music, music in the car. Yeah. You know, it was, I remember growing up as kids, it was cassettes and, and you know, there there was always music playing. Dad used to make little compilations as well and play them in the car, just songs he'd recorded off the radio. Yep. Yeah, and I remember listening to those compilation tapes, you know, and even now I can hear a song and go, I remember that was on. Yeah you know on dad's compilation
0: i'm very much the same way yeah, like my okay. my i'm i'm pretty sure my dad like not to say your dad didn't make the best tapes but he <laughs> did cuz my dad made the best mix <laughs> mixed tapes but like yeah i can I, I can hear a song that i haven't literally haven't heard in 30 something years yep and go that was that was on that tape yeah yeah like it'll be on some random movie, it'll yep. just pop up for no particular reason. Yeah, I'll be like, oh, that was one of those songs, like yeah. Man Eater by um. But
3: isn't it unreal when? Yeah, like a, you'll hear a song like that yeah. and immediately, like I was going to talk about that in your next little yeah, s- yep. section. But you can hear a song and it just takes you straight back to a place, yeah. or or a time or a smell or whatever. Yeah, you just you can you can you're
0: there. It's amazing. Yeah, I yeah.
3: love I love that stuff.
0: Yeah, it's pretty yeah. great. Okay, so. Um, a lot of music around the house, which is always, you know, always a good start. But your pa- besides your dad playing um, piano accordion, there was was there any other was there musical instruments around the house? Or did your dad no, bring that back into the house, like when he when he was of age and kind of because obviously he had
3: the piano accordion was in the house. Okay. Yeah, but it wasn't played much, and it was brought out as a novelty.
0: They like, didn't bring it over from.
3: No, no, no. They, they would have. One. They would have bought that for dad here. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, and Dad'd, dad, it was more a novelty thing. Dad would bring yeah. it out for a laugh, you know, if you had someone over for dinner, dad would be on the piano accordion playing a, playing a tune. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I was about 10 that I got bought a guitar. Okay. Yeah, yeah and yeah. that was that would probably be the next musical instrument that came into the house. Maybe I had some little cheapy keyboard before that. Yep. Yeah, as, as we all
1: often do. Yes, yeah, as, as yeah. so yeah.
0: happens, yeah. <laughs> so what was, how were you getting music when you were younger outside of your parents? Like... Was there much? I mean, obviously, there would have been radio and that kind of thing, but like, yep. what were you, how were you getting it? This is late 70s, yeah. So, but I mean, by the time 70s. I was
3: about 10, the, or 10 or 11, I had one, one the, the one thing I was going to talk about was we had this old car, dad had this old Holden that had one of those cassette players in it that was like a huge beta style cassette, it was almost like a videotape,
0: not an A track.
3: It, well, no, nah, it was in the car. I don't know what – do you know, to, to be honest, I don't even know what it was. Okay. It was just a, a tape player that was in the car, but it took a huge a cassette. Cartridge like kind of a thing. cartridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. maybe it was like an 8-track thing. I think it's thing. an 8-track, yeah. Um, and he only had one album in the car. So that album got played good all the time.
0: Just thrashed. Yeah,
3: and the second Dad was out of the car, I'd turn the ignition, put the cassette in, you know, and sit sit in the car and listen to it.
0: Wait, oh, so it just had the 8-track thing Okay, so
3: what it's was the, the album? Uh, Harvest. Oh, wow, well. okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm probably jumping the gun on you. No, go but for it. If I was going to pick a, my second track that reminds me so much of that kind of era of being probably about eight to ten years old. Yeah. It's the first track off Harvest. And the se- the second that that song ever comes on, like I'm so transported to that into that car, you know, talking about yeah. what a song does you know i i can and i've told this story a few times before cuz it's so it's still so vivid you know i can put that the first track on that's called out on the weekend and the second it goes on i can see my dad sitting next to me in these tiny stubbies good yeah, with these, and he used to wear these kind of um, crocheted singlets. Okay. You know, with the nipples sticking through and the, the hair sticking Very through. Of and yeah, yep. Extremely of the time. Yeah, extremely of the time. Mum in tennis shorts or something next to him with a huge big pair of sunnies. Yeah. You know, and me in the back, sweaty hot day with my skinny legs stuck to the vinyl seats of the car, yep. you know, and there was a hole in the floor of the car where you could see the road. Jesus. <laughs> and it's still past bu-
0: Reggio. Yeah. Good. <laughs>
3: can See the road passing underneath. Like I can, I can. I'm there when I hear that song. Yeah. And to this day, like that, that just that's probably one of the best memories I have of mum and dad when I was a kid is just being in that car and having that cassette, yep. and driving around and listening to that album over and over and over and over and over again. You know, And there's another thing where you know the music that your parents had. Probably by accident with that. I reckon dad bought the car and the cassette was in there.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. I reckon
3: that's what happened. Because it was it's probably gonna the say. only one cassette yeah. he ever owned that worked in that car, you know? And I reckon that was just a happy accident because yeah. I still love that and I'm a massive Neil Young fan. Yeah. I still love that album, but it just brings back so many memories of my, my parents. That's awesome. Yeah. But asking where did music come from outside? Yeah. And I don't like. That would probably be the point, I guess. Where you're going to play that? That's I'll that probably, song. yeah. I'll
0: probably drop it in there. Yeah, you yeah. Can drop
3: it in there. But look, music outside of my mum and dad, like where where it came from, I had two fr- two really really close friends who w- we grew up with, and I was about three blocks away from them in Vaucluse, yep. where I grew up probably from about the age of six or seven to ten.
0: Before you go on, yeah, Ke- is was like Vaucluse nowadays is like. It's got to be in the top ten most expensive suburbs in Sydney. Yeah, which and Sydney, by itself is expensive anyhow. Whether you're living in what, like whatever, wherever, ever, yeah. yeah. Was Clues Was it still expensive, or was it like was it still just like? I think it was. There, know. there are definitely.
3: ...you know, Ball Clues was definitely always the more upmarket area. Yeah. We were not upmarket in any way, shape or form. Like where we lived was like there were some shops on the main road... ...and behind the shops was like a little dingy space... ...I think where whoever owned the shop used to live. And then next to that was a big block of flats. Okay, right. And we lived on the top floor of this kind of brick block of flats... Um, but it wasn't housing commission I think. Like, no, no, no. Yeah, it was just it a block of flats. Front. Yeah. And as you went up the hill, you know, it was there were really expensive, beautiful houses and views of the, of the right. harbour. You know, and the, by the time you walked up past our place, it was almost maybe – our house was probably – the only block of flats on the street. Yeah. I can't remember that there were any others and all, everything around us would have been like a more of an upmarket style yeah. house. So it
0: wasn't like... Private it wasn't, school kids. Yeah, it wasn't a working class blue collared area that happened to kind of become expensive. No, no, yeah. it was
3: always more upmarket. Yeah. yeah. And there was always, it was always a money area. Yeah, yeah. wow, well, okay. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, we just we just lived in the, the slum spot.
1: Yeah, that one. <laughs> the slum spot
3: yeah. of all clues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so you had mates? I had mates, yes. I had two friends who lived up the up the road from me about three blocks and I'd walk and we'd go to school together. Yep. My parents had had known their parents really well. And we kind of grown up together from about four, but now we lived in really close quarters. Okay. And I was probably now about seven, eight years old. And the music that I guess we first discovered together that was outside of my parents' collection was the Beatles. Okay. And The three of us became kind of Beatle crazy, started our own little um, Beatles 2, we used to call it, Beatles 2. And What was it? It was like we'd just mime with tennis rackets and vacuum cleaners. As you do. yeah. Yeah, and charge our parents a fee yep. to come in and watch, watch us mine, yeah. Yeah, put the record on.
1: Entrepreneurs.
3: Um, yeah. yeah. We'd, we'd, we'd make kind of the, the vacuum cleaners, we'd stick little things on the end so they look like microphones. Yep. Yep. We had tennis rackets with cut out guitars stuck on the tennis rackets. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, we were next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then
0: we, yeah, no, I, I used to just run the tennis racket. You had to <laughs> use the, the the audience had to use their imagination.
3: Yeah, oh, we I was cutting out a Hofner bass, you Good. know, so it looked like McCartney That's bass. That's very impressive. Yeah, yeah, Rick um, and back for, yep. for Lennon. Yep. We had this terrible little um, purple cardboard drum kit that someone would play as well. Yep. And we'd put um, cellophane, cellophane over the um, the, lights. the lights. Yep. Yeah. And For the then Atmos. yeah, every now and then we you know get one of the other little kids to flash them on yeah, and off right. a bit or something. <laughs> yeah, cool. And then we yeah invite the parents in to come and sit and watch us mime our way through the Help album or something. That's
0: you know? so good. <laughs> That's good.
3: I've got ph- I've got photos of us doing that. The bizarre end to that story is like they're the guys who are still in my band now, and and oh, well. Jamie who produced my record was was in that. Thing with me when I was a little kid. He like, was in
0: Beatles too. He
3: was in Beatles too. So which two was it? Like, it was just Beatles two, as in not Beatles, not the Beatles.
0: So like Mark two, like just number like two, like the sequel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, right. Not like two, as in as two well. two people. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, cool.
3: yeah. Oh, or not in as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, cool. Beatles two. Yeah, like the sequel.
0: Sick. That's so yeah. good. So what so, was your go to? who was your? Go-to? Uh, I was Beatles. the McCartney. Okay. Yeah,
3: uh, I I think Jamie was the George. And um, Scott, the uh, Lennon, yeah. Okay. So Scott, Scott would have the the guitar that looked like a Ricky.
0: Was that? Um,
3: there may be photos that disprove that theory. I'd love to see. Him. Yeah, I like, think. Yeah, I think they should be. We probably with swapped the world. guitars a bit occasionally.
0: Was but was going for McCartney like a um, a calculated move, or or not even calculated, but maybe a subliminal move being that you thought he was the better, whether it was in the but early years or, like, as you grew up, you thinking he was the better better Beetle or, like, not better is probably not the right word, but, he like, was, your favourite? He was
3: probably more my favourite. Yeah. And probably still to this day, like...
0: But was yeah, when you were little, was he your favorite then? Yeah, I yeah. would,
3: I'd say yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I, I think you'd probably find that, that you know if you talk to Jamie or Scott, where they would talk about the fact that Lennon and Harrison would probably be their, their more their favorites over McCartney. Yeah. You know, I mean, everyone's got their opinion on yeah. the favorite Beatle, and you know through McCartney's solo years, he's sometimes been my guilty pleasure because sometimes I'm he's he's embarrassed me to say that I yeah. <laughs> that I'm a massive Paul McCartney fan. Yeah. Whereas yeah, but but still. He is my guilty pleasure and I, I you know'll I'll buy almost anything that he's ever put out even if I don't like it. Have you heard the new album? <laughs> yeah I, I have. yeah, I don't go there Joe. Like,
0: so <laughs> I I went through I this year last year I stopped, I feel like I stopped listening to music last year. Yeah. I just kind of went. Does it sound like no effects, or is it no effects? If yes, then I'll listen. And if it doesn't, then whatever. It's not on my radar because I was so engulfed in listening to podcasts because it was like this new thing. Yep. To me, it was this new thing. I mean, podcasting as a as a as a medium, I guess, has been going for about ten years or so. This year, I tried to like be like, I've got to. I just want to listen to new music. Yep. And so whenever I'd hear someone something new was coming out.
3: Like you is a prick up. Yeah, I'd yeah, be yeah. like,
0: okay, well, I, like I'm gonna add that to a playlist, or I'll put it on after I finish this podcast or whatever. And so I was listening to, I'm gonna call it. He was on Mark Maron's like WTF podcast, and he, they, where they did a live episode yep. with Paul McCartney. Did I just thought he was doing a live episode because whatever? It turns out he's like, oh, and I've got a new album coming out. It drops tomorrow or something. Yep. And I was like, oh, okay, today's tomorrow, so like it's on Spotify, and I'll listen to it. And I listened to it thinking I, I I don't want this to come off as rude but I listened to it thinking like you can you
3: can be rude about this record well,
0: but I was like well at least he he's not doing it for the money no like he doesn't need it so like okay I went into it going this is him being artistic like he doesn't have to he doesn't have to phone in a song no so like this is what he wants to do so when I listened to it I was like okay cool and then I got about three tracks in and went. I'm so fucking bored of this yeah. because it sounds like a guy in his mid seventies trying to remain young and oh, relevant. Really?
3: But that's what it is. Yeah, sadly, that's what it is. That's kind of what it's become to with McCartney. It's, it's yeah. still. And I don't know whether it's still that he's the, a massive part of his life. He's fought the fact that there was so much, especially when someone dies, like John Lennon did. That they become yeah. such a huge icon that I think, to some degree, even though he's had so much success and written so many songs and had, you know, enormous amounts of money and and yeah. had this incredible life, he still fought for the fact that I need to justify my ability yeah. to write something that's current or something that people are going to enjoy yeah. or that there's going to get some kind of critical acclaim. And I think he's felt this weird need to always be current. The funny thing is, is that no one who really appreciates McCartney for anything that he'd ever done wants him to do anything that makes him remain current. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, I'd rather hear him do what he did when he first left the Beatles, which was walk into his little house that he had, out, 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 I think somewhere in Scotland, yeah. and set up you know, a four-track and record drums in the toilet and have you know, some yep. guitars, mics set up in the living room. ...and make this kind of homey little fanta- record with great songs on it... ...that has a sense of humour and is still I can still listen to today. Yeah. I think the, the thing that Paul McCartney maybe doesn't get with his current songs... ...and I think some of those songs I've, I've listened to them and think... ...I think he's trying to still be funny... Yeah, but they're not like he. He did have this quirky sense of lyrical humor. Yeah, you know where he'd, he'd sing really silly things and do funny voices and whatever. It's not coming across like that anymore. I think maybe lyrically yeah. he thinks some of those new songs are funny. Yeah, they're just not, and it just sounds like like you said, someone who's trying to rem- sound like they're remaining current and it's uh, not working.
0: Yeah. Well, it's sad that I. I, I it's can't sad to that it. my opinion is the general opinion, but like what I guess a lot of people would probably think as well. But yeah, yeah, like, and I wanted to love it, like I want, I really, I want really to want every to
3: time you release a new record. Yeah, I usually hope if I can find a single solitary gem yeah. somewhere on there that that, then I'll go. Oh well, I'll go and I'll go and yeah. buy it for that. That's
0: justified it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he
3: is my guilty pleasure these yeah. days. I, st- I, I still, like, for his, as far as his current stuff goes, I still go back and listen to those early solo records when he first left the Beatles, and there's two that I really, really love, and that's... um one, One's just called McCartney.
0: Okay, yep.
3: Just got a bowl of cherries on the cover. Okay. And the other one's Ram. And both of those records, to me, are like the pinnacle of his solo ability. But it was kind of a, at a point in his life where he, he made records without... They just seemed so much looser and more fun and, like, he didn't care and he'd thrown off the shackles and just going, I'm making this homely yeah. record, at home. I'm relaxed, I'm just making making some songs.
0: Did, did the same vibe carry through with the Wings stuff?
3: Some of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, some of it. I mean, I can't say that I love all everything that Wings did either. Yeah. This, this is the thing, though, with this stuff, and that's why guilty pleasures become guilty pleasures. Yeah. For me, the big part of even some of the corniest McCartney songs there's some massive sense of nostalgia that i can't let go of yeah. attached to those songs and even though i can listen to them and that part of my brain is telling me oh that lyric was really terrible cheesy, or that this yeah. is cheesy or this is bad i oh, look at that film clip that's the worst there's a massive part of it that i can't let go of
0: yeah that that's the guy
3: that's the guy and yeah. and that's the that's that song triggers a memory for me or of being in a certain place or a certain yeah. time or i can't i can't let go of it have so, you
0: you've seen the video where his son's about to play on some TV show? Have you seen the, that video? His son's no. about to play on some TV show. His son plays in a band, and for whatever reason, they cut to Paul McCartney, and they go, oh, "Hey, your son's about to play some show. Like, why don't you give him a few words?" And I don't know what his son's name is. Let's call him James. Stan. James. Okay, he goes, "Hey, James, like, rock on, man. You do it, man, or something." So, and you're sitting there going. What the fuck is this? <laughs> but then you stop and go like you know whatever. Like we've all said dumb stuff, but have, did you write help? Like no, <laughs> That's so he, true. Can, he can get away with it. That's like, true. Then you yeah. can do whatever you want. And you know he didn't. He's pretty squeaky clean. Like he didn't have a a post Beatles meltdown that John Lennon kind of had. And no, yeah, so. no,
3: he's retained that. Yeah, that, ha- that yeah. happy. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw an article today in the Guardian or somewhere that that it was almost exactly that. How does Paul McCartney still manage to make everyone feel so happy? Yeah, something along those lines. Yep. If that's your legacy, yeah, great.
0: Yep. And it, like, <laughs> I went and
3: saw him when he was here, you know, and I went with my wife and my daughter. Did you go last year? Yeah, when it I can't even remember how long ago it was. It was time. Just yeah, time as a stream. It was whenever he was here last. It was a few. A few months back,
0: yeah. yeah so um, it was December last year. I'm glad
3: you. I'm glad you didn't go, but I'm glad you. No, re- oh, you I did went, go. I went. That's yeah, right. We took you Cody.
0: Yeah, we took Cody, who was uh, he would have been just one. Yeah, or
3: maybe just shy of one. Yeah. But there you go. If you were in that crowd, you can see. Oh yeah. the, the making
0: people happy. You know, oh, there's just smiles yeah. on the faces. There's there's people crying. And it's even the, the whole- even the shitty songs. And like I'm going to call them shitty songs, like um. Is it Jet? Jet, yeah, yeah. Like, that does nothing for me. But I look down and I go, people loving it. Yeah. Like, you know, cool. And there was some song about a a receptionist.
3: Uh, Temporary secretary. So bad.
0: (laughs) So bad. But whatever. Like, because did you write the second half of the Abbey Road Uh, LP? No. So, like, and he did. uh, So, whatever. Like, you can get away with it. Exactly.
3: Exactly. Cool. Yeah, so he he (laughs) remains my... My guilty pleasure.
0: So, but we're going to go with the first song of Harvest. First song
3: of Harvest. If I if I remember anything that's going to take me back to being between seven and ten, it's that song, which is out on the weekend. Sick. First song of that album. Let's listen.
0: So that, like, listening to that Neil Neil Young song, totally, I can hear where a lot of your solo stuff, especially the earlier solo stuff, kind of gets its inspiration from. Yeah, without without a doubt. I mean,
3: yeah. even the way he attacks the acoustic guitar, I kind of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can completely see that.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I love the way he attacks the acoustic guitar. Just I, his strum and these. It's, it's,
0: yeah. He's very heavy-handed. He's heavy-handed, yeah. yeah.
3: Which I get in trouble for. <laughs> I get in trouble all the time. It. Yeah, just hitting yeah. the guitar too hard. Yeah, but yeah, he do, he does do the same thing.
0: And I feel like he um, slouches over. It's probably not the right word, but he kind of he's very on top of it. Yeah, and I can yeah. see that you doing that as well. Like when yep. you sit, you're very on top of the guitar. Yeah, I get like,
3: in trouble off that of my dad all the time for, okay, for bad being, posture. Yeah, posture. Yeah, he's like stand job. up
0: straight. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair enough. You're gonna end up with back problems. Yeah, Yeah, uh, we'll we'll do it. (laughs) I just science will come through eventually. That's right. That's right. Well, the time is I'll hope. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So it's it's. I guess it'd be kind of hard to rebel against. Not rebel against. Well, you know. Let's say rebel against. um, Your dad was a bit of a rebel. Well, was a rebel. I shouldn't say he was. Your dad was a rebel. So I feel like it would have been kind of hard to not shock him per se, but like. He may have looked at you, your form of rebellion when you're, you know, early teens or whatever, and just gone, "Yeah, I've seen a little before." <laughs> but like, what were you, like, what were you branching out of? Where he, besides the Beatles, where he was like, "I don't get this," or yeah, I mean, like, that look, that definitely did happen. Yeah, you know, you,
3: you, and I think that's probably just got a lot to do with you know that's an ongoing generational thing isn't it yeah. you know like that that even still happens now you know you, you listen to your, the music that your kids are playing and just go what the
0: hell is yeah. that i can't wait for <laughs> it but i honestly can't wait for it yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean and it it also makes you
3: it makes you discover things one thing is with getting older as well you know you were talking about i was going to say this to you before cuz you were talking about listening to to um new music yeah looking you know you do get to a point in your life where you stop Searching it. it, you don't mean to do it. You yeah. might not even try and shut that down, but you'd suddenly realise oh, I haven't really listened to anything new. Yeah, for I don't know how long. Yeah, like I'm, I'm just listening to the same bands that I listened to ten years ago. Yep. I sort of made made a decision just re- it was j- only just recently to go. I've got to start listening to to more music, especially because yeah. now I'm teaching yeah. music and teaching guitar and teaching songwriting and doing all those kind of things all the time with people. Yep. I had to get out of my bubble, and start listening to what the, what younger kids were listening to. But when it was me, if, yeah. you know, if you're talking back to when I was when I was that age, um, I the first big one that I remember my dad really didn't like, and you know, th- th- talk talking about. Guilty pleasures and and, and at that the time. If I look back now, I'm like, why did I do that? But I became a massive Duran Duran fan.
0: Okay, no, like yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, you know,
3: like, and I was, I was. They were, they were huge. They were cutting edge. Yeah, like, and yeah. Uh, my dad hated that. Yeah, you know? okay. I, I remember dad <laughs> hating Duran Duran. That maybe was the one where me and dad really, really sort of butted heads. Yeah, um, some of the other stuff that he could put up with, but there were some there were some bands that I got into around this time now. Um, the Police, Midnight Oil. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of indie Sydney bands at the time that, that we started listening to. So there were, you know, bands like uh, Died Pretty, The Church. Yep. Uh, the Sc- Spy vs Spy, Screaming Tribesmen, Yeah. You know, The Lime Spiders, Celebrate Rifles. Yeah. Um, there was this whole kind of The Plunderers. There was all these kind of little indie Sydney bands that that we started listening to lots. Yeah. Um, and my dad, surprisingly, put up with a lot of them because later on when I got a little bit older and I'd left school, which I left school early, um, we worked together and we'd have to, you know, we'd be in the shed all day. Yeah, the radio would be on. So, yeah, and I'd, yeah, or I'd have, even have cassettes and things out in the shed, you know. Yeah. And Dad would have to listen to it. There were a few things he couldn't stand. Okay. So, but Duran Duran was at the top of the list. Duran Duran was right up there. Jimmy Barnes couldn't do Jimmy Barnes. Oh, was it you know. too awkward or? I just couldn't do the screaming. Okay. Dad used yeah, to say, yeah. put him in a cage and feed him meat. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he couldn't do Jimmy Barnes at all. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, not that I really ever listened to Jimmy Barnes, but I listened to some early Cold Chisel. Yeah. Um, But some things he didn't mind, you know. To my surprise, like he didn't mind the church, and I could play the church all day long, and Dad would would listen to them, you know. Steve Kilby's voice was. Dad didn't like anyone screaming or raising their voice in music. You know, they had they had to sing properly. Yeah. You know, so he didn't mind. He didn't mind Steve Kilby, Um, and some things he could put up with. Was
0: Duran Duran, like, I could see how the music, I could see how you didn't like the music, but like they had like their imagery like. And a lot of the the topics and subjects of their songs were very or were sexual. Yeah, that's so right, like was right. that was that that you Pro- didn't like? Probably because Dad probably had more of an awareness of yeah, that what than I did about. at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I probably had zero awareness because there was that film clip. I can't. Oh God, knows what it was, but like. I feel like there was nudity. Like I feel uh, like that was one of the first bands. girls on film. Girls on film. That's the
3: one. Yeah, yeah. There was a big deal when the clip came out. Yeah. Yeah. That was censored and yeah. I I I have I have vague memories of that stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. Dad yeah. was probably way more aware of that. You know. So yeah, and saw it coming, kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm just buying a record and yeah. and putting it on and bopping along. Yeah. yeah.
0: Not getting too deep. <laughs> yeah. See.
3: Yeah. So the sort of that era. That was what I was listening to. And if I was to pick a song. From that era, that yep. reminded me of you know, maybe that that whole time period of listening to music. I was going to say Midnight oil's a Midnight Oil song called Stand in Line, okay? Yeah, that that that, that, that surprises reminds me. me a lot of that era.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. wasn't I didn't know that you're a big Oils fan,
3: yeah, yeah. Well, I it's funny, I get drawn to bands through guitarists, okay, nearly all the time, yeah, you that know, makes sense. and it was Jim Magini's guitar playing that really. Dream me to midnight oil more than anything else yeah. and now when i when i listen back to so many bands like if i think about um the police or midnight oil or spy versus spy yeah. you know i put something up about them the other day because the guitarist died a little while ago uh, just this was a few weeks ago yeah but he, he was one of those guys who the second he played you just knew yeah who, who it was yeah and andy summers from the police was like that yeah. and jim magini you know, they ha- and they also all had this slightly atonal improvised jazz quality to their note choice, you know, so that it wasn't the standard rock and roll, yeah. pentatonic, pentatonic, bluesy order. solo. Yeah. 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 It, they played it what I would, you know, now to call the interesting notes.
0: Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And I reckon I, if I look back now on all the bands that I liked, yeah. I was somehow drawn to that because the guitarist would always have that kind of thing going on. I think that was part of what made me like those
0: bands. So was it? Who who was it that? I know the answer. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyhow. Who was it that inspired you to get a guitar? Yeah,
3: it was. It was. was it was definitely Andy Summers. Right. Yeah,
0: I became a. Poli- <laughs> we're going to go down that. Yeah, we are going to go down that road. <laughs> it's so fucking good. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I tell this story. All the time, <laughs> yeah. I thought that I thought it may be coming as soon as I as
3: soon as I mentioned the police, um. Yeah, he made me, he without a doubt he made me want to play the guitar. I mean, yeah, there was just something about his guitar playing, you know. And there was a jazz background with that guy. You know, his it was interesting chord choice. It was the the riffs were really interesting. Yeah, wasn't like anything I'd kind of ever heard before, and it made me want to go and learn all those riffs. And a lot of them were really really hard. You know, so I spent a lot of time. Was
0: he doing police stuff parallel to solo jazz stuff?
3: Yeah, yeah. So okay. there was yeah. there was a period
0: he did some, well ja- atmospheric stuff that
3: did lead to jazzier stuff. Okay, so he right. he, made, he released these records with Robert Fripp. Who's Robert Um Hoop? He was the uh, – what was the band that he was from? Um, I've got a mental blank. It'll come to me later. Okay. Um, he, he They made some records together. He came from another really uh, – King, King Crimson?
0: Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Right?
3: So they, he, they made some records together too. Yeah. Um I Advanced Masked and Bewitched, yeah, and okay. I, I had both those records, really liked them because there was still that police thing. Vibe to it. Yeah, and yeah. same – no interesting, no choice, great chords. and yeah. But it was more atmospheric, it wasn't jazzy. And then Andy later, I think more after the police split, went down the, the jazzy road again.
0: Yeah. So do you want to tell that story?
3: Yeah, I had a feeling that was coming. So yes. I,
0: <laughs>
3: Andy Summers finally announced this um, solo tour of Australia. Yep. He came with a trio and he, he was doing his jazzy stuff. And to be honest, the tour got really bad reviews. Like just okay. in general, like if it got people were walking out of the shows, and I still wanted to go. It Was like Andy Summers has never been to Australia. He'd never. Do you been think
0: st- before you go too much further? Do you think people were walking out because it was bad, or do you think people were walking out because they they wanted the hits?
3: No, I don't think I don't know whether anyone went expecting that it was going to be. Because even the, most of the – although he did play a couple of weird venues. I think there was an RSL or something on the tour, which was odd. Oh, okay. Because he was bringing a jazz trio. It was instrumental music. But I think the reason people walked out was not because he was play, wasn't playing the hits. It, it just – there was no spark in the music at all. Like when you're playing instrumental improvised music and there's no – it's just flat and boring. Yeah. There's no p- passion there. It just seemed like he was really, really going through the motions, okay, and I think people walked out because it was just boring, um which really caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that that was going to happen, but anyway, I went and saw him at the at the base. I think it was the basement,
0: yeah, I think that's what you told me
3: and it was a full house when yeah. it started
0: which is a which is a traditionally a jazz jazz venue. venue, yeah, yeah,
3: and there were a lot of people there when it began the, the room was pretty full, yeah, I'll be honest, it was slowly <laughs> emptying as the night progressed. Yeah. Until there was a dr- there was a drunk guy sitting in front of me who was calling stuff out, and he he did request he did request um, Englishman in New <laughs> which Englishman in New York, which is not even a police song. It's a sting solo, song, <laughs> which is amazing.
0: So, oh, it's the it was kind of the best. like that's the cherry
3: on the top yeah.
0: of the cake. Yeah,
3: that went down like really bad. Yeah, and um, I stayed till the end. 'Cause I just it was Andy Summers. Like to yeah. me it was like, man, I'm watching the guy who This is it, this is the reason. This is why I'm playing guitar. Yep. So I decided to hang around for the for the meet and greet. Meet and greet. Yep. And I, I went back to stage behind the, the stage and there was a, a like a bouncer bodyguard dude standing next to the table. Yep. And there was Andy Summers sitting at a table waiting for the meet and greet. If I remember right, I was it was only me. May have been one other person wow. who went backstage for the there was there was disinterest. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I just I went back with a with a vinyl in my hand and I laid it down on the table. And I was sort of, you know, intently looking at Andy and doing that thing that you do when you know you're meeting someone who means the world to you, and you just don't want to say, yeah, the stupid things that are running through your head because you don't want to seem- say
0: "play Englishman in New
3: York." <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. Want, you don't want to do that. And I still said the thing that I that it, to this day I still wish I didn't say it, but it's, you just blurt stuff out. Yeah. And I went, "You're the you're the re- you're the reason I picked up the guitar," which yeah. is not that bad, I no. guess, but it was true. It, like it was true.
0: You'd think people would be blown away by every time yeah. they heard
3: it. Yeah. You're the reason I picked up the guitar. He 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 didn't even look up from the table. He grabbed the the vinyl and pulled it towards himself and scribbled his name across the bottom of it and then slid it back across the table still not looking up. No eye contact. No eye contact and just said, "You and 2 million others." Yes. And then he stood <laughs> then he stood <laughs> up and turned around yes. and walked away. Yes. And and the, the the bouncer dude just stood there staring at me just going
4: oh.
3: There was just like this groan noise that's, and that's I just kind of took the vinyl and turned around and walked away.
0: And you still like him?
3: No. Oh, you don't. Well, I never bought another thing. Yeah, no, it's, that's that's understandable. That. Yeah, I I've, I've I've I actually never bought a single Andy Summers solo album from that point on. That's that's
0: commendable. <laughs> That's very that's highly commendable. I like it. And I love that fucking story. It's yeah, I tell yeah. it to people all the time. <laughs> Whenever
2: should, so
3: there's there's a thing where you should never there's a, you should never really meet your heroes. So sometimes yeah. you should, look sometimes you do and it's it's wonderful and it's 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 natural and it happens in a way that, that that's the way I guess a friendship should happen or a, or yeah. a conversation should happen or whatever. And that, those things have happened to me as well where I have yep. met and played with people and done shows with people who I've really looked up to. And then, you know, a conversation happens in a natural way. Yeah, sometimes you just you just should bypass and hop in the car.
0: So, Minot Oil. Minot Oil. Stand in, stand in line. Stand in line. Is this, I'm not a, again, I'm like a, a great, my, my favourite to quote, I think it's Alan Partridge, my favourite Midnight Oil's album is the best of Midnight Oil, so <laughs> like I don't know where this comes in their discography. I guess it's uh, early. earlier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Stand yep. in line. Stand in line. It is. So, the two things, the two things that I think of when I, I mean, the, the two main things I think of want to hear that are uh, that bass line was so intense <laughs> that I got tired thinking about playing Play- it. <laughs> yeah, it's full on. Like, it? it just kept going. Yeah, there were no like four. I was just like, oh God. <laughs> but <laughs> I just
3: watched that Midnight Owl movie that, I can't even remember what it's called now, but I just went and saw it recently. It was okay. on at Avoca.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, another one. Yeah, And yeah. that was
3: the thing that I got with watching them. Yeah. They were all like that. The bass player, like watching Rob Hurst on the drums, it was yeah. – inc- They were so, it, from the second they started, it was so intense and there was so much energy and it was manic, Yeah. you know, that it was – it was like that from the word go, from the beginning of a concert to the end of the concert. The yeah. energy that they Peter, Peter there was footage of Peter Garrett walking off stage, limping and having to lie straight down because he was just sort of throwing himself all over the all over the place, you know. It's and insane. it was like that from the second they started. That's worth watching. You'd probably really enjoy the movie, actually. Okay. If you haven't seen it, yeah. No, it's, I um, haven't. Yeah. That kind of energy or that
0: you know no let up. Yeah. That's what they were like live. I fi- like this isn't what I was going to say, but on that like it makes me like you listen to it now or you'd see it now and just think, well, that's what I expect from a band. Like, if I'm going to go see a a high energy rock and roll band, I want to see a high energy rock and roll band. But I feel like they were way higher energy than like, you think like, you know, bands that were obviously like Aussie bands that were obviously big at the time, like someone like ACDC, they don't do much, Mm. Like they play hard, Mm. but they kind of, except for Angus, the rest of them just kind of stand there and, do what they do really well and really hard. But like yeah
3: Well especially Rob and Peter in Midnight Oil were just super high energy. Yeah. And watching the two of them was it was literally just intense. Yeah. It was there was so much energy just being released and sweat pouring everywhere. Yeah. And Rob's kit being, you know, before a gig attached to the ground so that it didn't fly forwards. Because he he would hit so everything so hard.
0: The other thing that I think of and I'm sure I've said it on an earlier podcast, but I can't remember in, in what context the song. Well, it, what song it was referring to or what band. But like, I don't know why. But or maybe there are bands doing it. But like, I don't. There aren't many bands that can like. That's not a chord song. No. Like it's not. It's it's not just like here's four chords and then no. like we'll change it to you know modulate or whatever. Um, it's riff based the whole way through and like when you hear it if you took the music out you'd be like yeah that's that is like if you sorry if you took um peter Garrett's vocals out you'd still hear it and go no that sounds like me not at all like cuz it yeah, is yeah
3: More well, than well cuz they did this cool thing with the where yeah. the riff would be the center point but the chords that that were put in around it were, were quite abstract yeah very they weren't sparse. even yeah and they weren't even necessarily you know a and d Yeah, it, it would it would be like kind of little interesting you know inversions of chords that and that's where I guess I talk about sometimes that slightly jazzy improvisational thing. Yeah. Even in a song like that to choose those chords to play them over the top of. Yeah. It's, um, uh, you know, it reminds me of what like fusion music. Okay. You know, where, yeah, yeah. where there might be like a, a center point riff or a one chord thing. But lots of other chords and 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 abstract sounds are superimposed over the top of yeah the, the riff yeah I love I love that stuff and that that's probably a good example of Jim's sort of slightly atonal. Yeah. If it's Jim playing that solo, I should I should look before I say that because I know they used to swap. Okay, yeah, but yeah. um, if it's Jim, you know that, that that's that interesting note choice. Yeah, you know, and that reminds and me of Andy not, Summers,
0: not the traditional. Yeah, not the traditional solo. No, like not there's at all. Tons of room. There's tons of space around yeah. the bits and pieces. It's not a rapid fire of notes kind of thing. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. So, were you when you were getting down with this? Let's just use them as an example because they're a prime example of it. Were you picking up on the? the social-political aspects of it or you just like the hard-hitting rock and roll sound?
3: Yeah, I reckon I was pretty unaware of a lot okay. of it. Like even watching that Oils movie, which is a lot of what that was about, I didn't realise yeah. all of that was going on. Okay. I knew there was some political element to Minot you know, Oils music. Yeah. I At that point, I'd, I wasn't very – I became really lyrically aware where lyrics are almost these days are more important to me than than melody and okay. song. I really focus on the lyrics before anything else. But then I reckon I was just listening to the guitar playing.
1: Yeah. More than
3: anything else, that's what I was, you know, I was sitting there with my guitar and, and a cassette and rewinding and rewinding and trying to, you know, work things out. That's and, insane, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I learned my guitar playing through listening to a lot of that stuff. Yeah, See. Yeah.
1: Cool.
0: So I guess moving forward in life, um, you're still living in eastern suburbs when you kind of hit the 18 mark. You, no, oh, so... You, you moved up the coast? i moved to the coast. Cool, okay. I moved
3: to the coast when I was about uh, 10, 11 years old. Oh, right, that, yeah. that young, okay. Yeah, so, I, and I lived there for a while until I got married and then yep. when I got married I moved back to Sydney for a while. Okay. So, yeah, by, by this time I moved to the central coast I would have been about, about 10, about 10. So I, my mid, listening to Midnight Oil and stuff like that, that yep. was on the coast. Okay. Not, not in Sydney. What
0: was, the, what was the reason for to move up here? Um,
3: I think dad, dad's job was dad's job situation. Dad got a job designing furniture for some company that was moving to the central coast. Okay. And dad had worked for them in Sydney. The whole company was moving. Dad came to the central coast with the company, bought a house on the central coast. Um, and not long after he moved, the company went bust. Oh, good. Yeah. So he'd already worked with them for quite a while, moved house sort of took The family north yep. and lost his job, so he had to suddenly work out, you know, what are we going to do? I do? Yeah. yeah, and dad taught himself because he, he always had a little bit of artistic flair, but he was not a signwriter. But he taught himself to, to sign write and yeah, became, right. became a sign writer. Started working for someone or started up his own business? Started up his own business, Jeez. yeah, yeah, with a fam- family of four, yeah. so yeah, he just sort of went, Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think one of the very first things he did was painted a huge mural for the Wyong Hotel Okay. um, that went up on their wall, which was a a picture of the hotel as it used to look way back in yesteryear. Um, And I remember Dad doing that. I I would have probably been maybe 12 years old or something. I remember it being in our lounge room and Dad sort of working on this huge big piece of art which went on the wall at the Wyong Pub there. Yeah. And that might have been one of the first things he did. And while while he was doing that and earning a quid make doing that big painting, yeah. he was teaching himself to paint signs. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah. So your how you what are your early bands that you were playing in? The
3: very earliest, me, Scott, and Jamie. Um uh, after after Beatles 2. After Beatles you know, 2, Beatles it's all two downhill
0: from there. Had
3: also broken up. Now. Yeah, okay,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've all gone your separate ways to <laughs> your solo right. albums.
3: Yeah, we started a band called the Fallen Scarecrows. That would probably be the first band.
0: With those guys again? Yeah, with yeah. those
3: guys again. Actually no, I should I had a covers band before that at school. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as everyone yeah. did. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, played a whole lot of Aussie rock songs. Yep. Um after that, the proper first proper band, we were we were writing and comp- and yep. you know, pr- practicing songs together and creating something.
0: But they were in Sydney.
3: They were in Sydney, yeah. yeah so, so how did you pull that off? We would be, we'd get together a lot, even though we'd now moved quite quite a distance from each other. Yeah. And back in those days, the freeway wasn't like it was. It was yeah. probably a two-hour drive yeah. easy yeah. to get to. It was probably longer to all Clues. It might have been two hours and twenty minutes then or Because you've got something. to get your way through the city. We still just hung out. So yeah. we, I'm catching trains to Sydney and crashing at their place and they're coming up the coast yeah, and we're cool. surfing surfing trips and, and playing music in mum and dad's garage now, which yeah. was becoming dad's sign shop. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we'd practice there and then I'd go to their house and we'd be playing in their bedrooms or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a drum kit at, the, at their house and bass and we started making – Making, uh, writing a whole lot of songs. Yeah, you know? see. And Jamie, who was you know, sort of setting himself up for Blue Bottle, was just becoming a someone who wrote a lot. Okay. You know, he was already pretty prolific in terms of how much stuff he could write. Um, and there was heaps. He 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 wrote a lot of songs that we kind of played in that band, and we did a demo cassette, which I still have. We okay. went into Troy Horse. Yeah, yeah. And recorded a demo cassette um, with probably about twenty songs on it. Jeez. Um, just yeah. all live. All live. Yeah. We just went in and played live. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people did. I've got it on we've got someone's got it on dat. I might not. Yeah. Um, but but was just a live to dat recording? Yep. Yeah, which I ended up with a cassette copy of that was I he played in years.
0: Was he giving you the songs to like was he giving you the songs or was it a collaborative effort? The, a lot of the songs were Jamie's. Yep.
3: There were a couple of collaborative efforts and there may have been one of mine or two of mine. And yeah. maybe I think Scott had one as well. Um, which was an ode to Coopers, I think. Coopers the, the, beer, yeah. the the the, the main line was cloudy, but fine. Good, <laughs> very good. Ode to Coopers, yeah. So, um, yeah, we 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 started. That was the beginning of thinking we can write songs. Yeah. We also bought a little Tascam four track, yep, and started doing some multi tracking. And I think me and Jamie had a good few weekends where we. There's another cassette floating around with some songs that we did on the four track. Yeah, see. Yeah, so that was that was probably the beginning of, of writing and playing, you know, yeah. and then my my musical life started to really segue into multiple directions in terms of genre and and style
0: and. You so, know. what did the early stuff sound like? To uh, just it probably sounded like indie
3: Sydney okay. rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was probably you you could definitely put it in that category. Yeah. Indie Sydney. it was it was of of its time. You know, it was the kind of music that we were were listening to at the time. Yep. Whether I was listening to a lot of Steve Kilby solo stuff, we were still we we're all Church fans. Yeah. Um. I think it was Jamie who was a pretty big Split Ends fan at the time. Yeah. Um. And then there was all the Sydney bands. You know. So which which we would all go and see. You know. So yeah. Spy vs Spy and the, the the some of those bands I mentioned before, the Plunderers and and the Celebrate rifles and i'd i wasn't necessarily into all of them but we would go out together and we'd still go and watch these bands the screaming tribesmen yeah. you know there were there were a heap that we used to go and go and see play the happy hate me nots was a band that i used to really love okay you know, and, and yeah it was a, it was a mixture of all those influences you know that, that would come out in the songs
0: yeah so then what your your first band that i remember you playing in oh, i'm not gonna think of the name of it now but you will tell me Oh, Hitchcock, you're Hitchcock, talking about Hitchcock, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were those guys in that?
3: No, no. So, now in high school, like sort of well into late high school, I also started writing songs with three guys from school, right? Okay, yeah, yep. and we started recording all our own terrible, terrible name for a band, but the band was called Mask, and uh, we again started, at the time. yeah, that's right, yeah. We started writing a whole bunch of songs, and we also recorded probably 30. Maybe more, maybe thirty-five songs. Wow! This time it was all mainly my writing, and that was when I guess most of my songs used to go was to that little trio. I used to, yeah. I, I was the main singer in that band and play guitar, and and we we it was another trio. You know, we we're all making trios because we all love bands like you know, The Police. Yep. You know, and Spy versus Spy, and Dinosaur Junior, who we saw in the Cardoma Cafe. You know, I, I thought it was one of my first live gigs. in yeah, a cafe, it was a little cafe, and little restaurant, like uh, little club in okay. Kings Cross. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I went and saw them there in the um man. I, that would have been my. I reckon that might have been my first gig. Wow. Um, I remember standing on a table because the the venue was so packed. Yeah. And it had a very low ceiling. And I was reasonably tall, you know, and I'm standing on this really low table with my head against a pipe. Yeah. Just standing in the most awkward position, watching Jay Mascus, who was completely uninterested in anybody in anybody or anything. His head was just down and it was just the loudest, sludgiest gig that oh, I've ever it, seen. I can imagine. No talking. Yeah. Yeah, no. Just one song into the next. And I stood in that position for probably a good hour and a half. So good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could straighten up by the time the, the gig was over. Yeah, but, you know, that, the, the tr- we were listening to a lot. I love the trio concept with yeah. bands because it meant the guitarist had the the ability like you do when that Midnight all thing we're talking about with the riffs yep. for that space to do whatever you want over the top of a bass line. Yeah. And that's why I think those guys like Andy Summers and those those guys who were playing in bands where there was plenty of room were able to do all those cool things, yeah, you know, because they sense. weren't being locked in with a rhythm guitarist playing, you know, A, D and E over the top of the yeah. the song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had that band in high school for for, for uh, uh, maybe we did that for about four years or so.
0: Okay. That was H- H- No, H- that was Mark. Oh, sorry. Now Ma- that segued. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
3: right. Like years later though. Same members? Yes, yeah, same two guys. So they were brothers, yeah. and they lived on the central coast, and they lived in where I grew up in Berkeley Vale. Yep. Oh wow. And okay. Yeah. So these two, these two guys, it was Dave and Shane Pecks were their names. Yep. And they drums and drums and bass, and we didn't play together for years. Okay. Like we, we hadn't seen each other for probably not much at all. I'd gotten married and life had changed and whatever. Yeah. But years down the track, we started um, the Hitchcock's Regret thing.
0: Yeah, Sick. yeah. And while that was happening, Jamie then went and did Blue Bottle Kiss and what yeah,
3: yeah. Blue, Blue Bottle Kiss happened, and Jamie got signed to I think Sony at the time. There was a yeah. m- Murmur. There was a label a called Murmur. Yeah, yeah. And Jamie got signed to that. Then a little later, I got signed to a Sydney label called Laughing Outlaw Records, and oh yes, they yep. started releasing the the Hitchcock's Regret stuff, and they yeah, cool. they released two Hitchcock's Regret albums. Yeah. Um, and then a third one that came out later on, you know, and I've talked a lot about the church. I was a big fan of those guys when I was little, um, you know, from, from the age of sort of 10, 11 upwards yeah. listening to that band, maybe a little older than 10. Um, and I ended up working with all those guys. The drummer from that band produced the um, my the third Hitchcock's Regret record. Wow, well, okay. Yeah, so um, and then we went on to do some shows with them after that. Yeah, Cool. Yeah, so, yeah, that was great, you know, to be able to make to, a band that ended up playing shows and, and releasing records and got signed to a label yeah, with the doing, guys who I'd played with in high school. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic.
0: So was there much of a live scene on the Central Coast? No. Nah. Yeah.
3: No. Nah. So, just
0: long drives to Sydney? Yeah,
3: yeah, as usual. You know, and the places we played were more like the Hopetown and yeah, the Annandale and sort of those those places. And we, we didn't do even... We didn't do an enormous amount of Sydney shows. Yeah, we, we did a we did a few. Um, probably the most shows we did was for the, by the time the third record came out. Okay. Um, but pre, before that, we did some, not a lot. We played that. We even played the basement like we had showcase nights at the basement or any of those showcase nights for the label Excelsior. Yeah, for the label yeah. where they I think they just booked the room and yep. could have a showcase night. Um, the Excelsior played there a few times. All those all these venues that are now just about all gone. Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: restaurants and yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's a completely, completely changed and and different scene. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that band lasted quite a while. Um. And we we got to we got to do a lot of, we got to, got to make three records together. It was great fun and work yeah. work with in the end work with someone you know the, the drummer from the church who produced our record. Work with the you know guys that I'd looked up to for a long time.
0: So how did that come about?
3: Uh, interestingly enough, I think somehow Steve Kilby had heard our second album. Okay. And had made a comment to Tim, who was the drummer, that he because Tim was looking for bands to work with and produce. And I think Steve must have made some kind of comment. I heard their record and I really liked it. You should go and check them out. And we were playing at the Hopetown and Tim turned up yeah, and, cool. and watched the watched the gig and then I approached us or I was sitting outside either before or after the show and met him and we ended up saying we should do something together. Yeah, see. Yeah. So, you know, I remember running around like an excited ninny, you know, that, that he'd even turned Co- up.
0: Completely understandable, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> That's
3: as 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 you do. Yeah, see. You know, and there was no Andy Summers moment to that story.
0: He's still a he's still a mate. <laughs> he's still a mate. Good. Good to hear. Um so do we have a song to kinda sum up I guess the 18, year, oh, 18 plus going to gigs on the regular and playing in bands and that kind of thing? Yeah, so I,
3: the part of that I haven't talked about yet for this point. Late on me. Yeah, so this is, these are convoluted stories. You know what I was saying before? This is where my genre hopping started to happen. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid and I'd grown up with the the Hutchings, you know, at their house in Vaucluse, their yep. dad was a saxophone. He played a lot of instruments. He played saxophone and oboe and clarinet and flute and piccolo. Wow. And he was a great jazz player. Yeah. And I grew up listening to him practicing scales and arpeggios and stuff all the time in their house. And he he, had a, he was a regular on the midday show. He was in the midday show band. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know... He got booked for the Sinatra tour when Sinatra went home and kicked up a, a stink because someone offended him by making comments about his girlfriend or something. Lee was booked to do that tour. Played with lots of jazz greats. Like yeah. he's a really respected and great jazz musician. Yeah. And I think that growing up and listening to him so much sort of started something in me as well, you know. And maybe that was what drew me to some of these jazzy kind of guitarists. Yeah. Because something something in my mind when i really like whatever that is you know and i i, I don't think i really un- even understood it until i got to about 18 19 yeah but i then started listening to a lot of a lot of jazz yep um and that led to which is which was i guess where i was going to go to cuz you know the the police went down then sting went down that road Yeah. and then you know you end up following these artists who lead you to something else and to something else yep and what happened from the, I guess, the police was with me was getting into, you know, these guys that Sting ended up using on this first solo record, who'd all work with people like Miles Davis. Yeah. Right. Okay. And it, it kind of all, I, I ended up listening to a lot of that kind of jazz fusion stuff that happened, especially the stuff that happened in the seventies. Yeah. And this is, you know, now we would be in, I guess, mid to late eighties, late eighties. Yeah. And I'm now going back and listening to stuff again that that sort of came from the 70s. Yep. So those Miles Davis albums like Bitches Brew and Live Evil and Tribute to Jack Johnson. And I I was never very good at the like and I wanted to be as a guitarist to yeah. be able to do that swing jazz thing. And I really struggled with the phrasing with those lines. I had a really hard time with it and it would really frustrate me. I know I couldn't get the language with those yeah. the way those guys played. But the fusion thing, which I I, I kind of got, I understood it. And I loved this concept of the jazz guys playing over one chord or two chord or three chord vamps and just being able to do that free improvisation thing over over the top. Okay. So the song that I was going to choose, because that was like where I went for a huge left turn for quite a while, you know, with, with my musical taste, which was when I started listening to, you know, that fusion stuff and then singers like Chet Baker and guitarists like Bill Frisell or or John Schofield and all these people that, you know, I was discovering through one artist to another, to another, to another. Yeah. And then I ended up having guitar lessons with a guy named Carl Orr who was a jazz guitarist who went on to work with Billy Cobham who played drums with Miles Davis. Jesus. So it was – I started listening to lots of this and trying to play – this kind of stuff. So the song that I – the piece that I chose was off the <laughs> Tribute to Jack Johnson album that Miles Davis released. Yeah. And I th- I've warned you already but yep. it's a really long piece. It's about 26 minutes. It's the, it's the opening track on, on – um, it's the opening track on the Tribute to Jack Johnson record and it's it – tw- I was just checking. Yeah, it's 26 minutes. I wrote it down to, okay. so I could tell I'm gonna you. I'm going to put it all called, in there. It's called Right Off. Right Off. Yeah, okay. and it's got John McLaughlin on guitar. And it's it's just free free
0: jazz over the top of a minimal amount of chords. So talk me through how free jazz works in a in a is this live?
3: Yeah, this would have been okay, recorded right. live.
0: So how does it work? Like, do they do they turn up? Uh, how do I put it? Is there any kind of structure? Usually, like predetermined structure. Yeah. or is it just like someone can't Someone says E flat, and someone counts it in, and off they go.
3: There are bands that do that. So when you yeah. say free jazz, yeah, generally that is that does happen. You know, yep. so someone will call off a key, someone will set up a feel, and then it's it's a go. Yeah. Yep. Um. But with these records, there was there was a little more structure to it than that. Yeah. Okay. Usually, okay. There'd be a me- there'd be some kind of melody that would be returned to or a theme. The yeah. theme might sometimes be really short. <laughs> and it's really just the basis for improvisation. Yeah. And it might be just a, a groove that mutates and changes over. It. And I started and watching lots of these return. bands. Yeah, even in Sydney, like the Necks, for example, who were really good at doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, just a, a theme that would be then improvised and could go for half an hour or 40 minutes and yeah. it would just mutate and change. And every night would be different. You know, you'd never see the same thing twice. Yeah. Um, And I started going and watching Sydney bands in that jazz kind of small thing that Sydney had going. There were bands like um, Wonderlust and the Catholics and my guitar teacher had a band called the Carl Orr Band and there was a saxophone player like Dale Barlow (laughs) and they were all playing in each other's bands. Okay. And I used to love going to watch that stuff. But that thing that you're talking about or you're asking about with the improvisation, yeah, Yeah, you could solo for as long as you want or until you were done or if you were working with Miles until he decided that you'd played long enough. Yeah, he'd kind of give you the nod. <laughs> Some kind of signal. Yeah, or, <laughs>
0: wrap it up.
3: Yeah, so, you know, and I started to really enjoy that concept. It's one of those things that I've always wanted to, to bring it more into – not jazz, but the improvisational aspect more into even what I do okay. where a, a solo doesn't have to have an end that's been worked out by the band where we all know that that's where that's going to end. Yep. But it's very hard in a, or for people who've never improvised like that before yeah. to, to – know how to finish things or how to end things or how to have that kind of communication yeah and i've never because
0: obviously it's not verbal it's not verbal you yeah. can't verbalize it yeah
3: yeah and it's about listening all the time to yeah. to the other members of the band it's never worked in the context of my own music and whenever i've done it i've always listened back to it and gone that ain't happening yeah yeah but yeah this 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 piece is called um right off yeah and it, it is
0: it is 20 26 minutes so So, no one's going to be offended if you skip forward 26 minutes. (laughs) Let's do it. So, 26 minutes later, it's all good. <laughs> like we, you know, I apologise, John. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm all about it. It's because it's the journey. Like it's, it's what gets you there, and that's it. Is it is the journey? Miles Davis decided he's going to do a 26 minute jam, <laughs> and that's what we went with. Um, from the get go, like, wouldn't have picked that that was Miles Davis. Obviously, no, it wouldn't have picked it was Miles Davis. Like at all, did not see that one coming.
3: No, it's f- funky and yeah. it's almost like a rock tune. And it's that concept of improvising over over a riff or a chord, or yeah, and you know, and taking the listener on a musical journey. Yeah. the the, uh, the artists don't even really know where it's going to go until you start.
0: Which is, as an as a musician, it's kind of exciting because it's daunting. I guess you might get to a stage where it's like, I've got this. Like this isn't. I'm um, this doesn't. Scam, is not it the right word. Well, it is yeah. scary. Well, it's scary. Yeah. I
3: think it's it is scary when you do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and I, I imagine it would be very scary if you were standing next to Miles to to do that stuff because he, I think he had very very high expectations yeah. of what he expected of of the musicians around him and yeah yeah he could he could destroy you. <laughs> By at the end of your solo, or by or by stopping you midway, or something, or yep. by just blowing a loud loud note in your face at a gig wow. to end your to end your solo because he line. was because he was unimpressed.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, what makes like well, that was live? What makes that be the live album? Like, ja, well,
3: jazz is always a it's there's it's never been overdubbed. It's never been yeah. a, a thing where you you go you know unless you're making some kind of but Jazz but, album for the pop market.
0: So was that what kind of blue's like? Yeah, they
3: just went in and played.
0: Yeah. You know, and they might do multiple Sorry, n- takes. No, let me start that again, but like okay, so kind of like a Miles Avers album like Kind of Blue, which is a studio album. Yep is that still heavily improvised?
3: Yeah, oh, absolutely. So yeah, that I mean that would still be a, that's still a studio album, that one we just heard then. It was still oh, repro- right. yeah, okay. it was just band live in the studio. Wow, yeah. okay. I thought so, it
0: was live live as in there was people in the Yeah, audience. no.
3: So what would often happen with stuff like that or or they would just do multiple takes and then they just listen back and go that was the one, you yeah. know, take 23 <laughs> was Jeez. the one where we really nailed it. Um yeah. <laughs> You know, maybe some takes collapse or yeah. they just know that, the, that there was no spark or we've yeah. got to come back another day. I, I mean, I've never read about all the sessions that happened with something like Kinda Blue, but it's it's definitely just improvised and it would have been just multiple takes. The band went in and played this song six or seven times, this tune. And picked the best. And picked the best, yeah. Wow. Yeah, picked the the magic one. <laughs> That's
0: insane. Do, do you have that album? Or kind have of, you heard that album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through a – um. A very, very I, – I thought I should – it's one of those things where you just go like
3: – I should listen to yeah, this. Yeah, I should
0: listen to this because it's 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 obviously made a, an impact. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's it's as important to jazz musicians as Smells Like Teen Spirit is yeah. to modern rock musicians kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. Uh, sorry, never mind, not Smells Like Teen Spirit. But yeah, like yeah. it's – so I was like, well, I should at least have an understanding or a knowledge that it exists and, you know –
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: but I didn't. I didn't go too far. That's no, a it.
3: great romantic record.
0: I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> when I first started listening to it, it was like because I'd come home from work early for whatever reason, so I'd like set up the dinner table and cook the dinner and have candles and have that playing in the background. So Nicole walked in the door. Yeah, per- that's and I was just like, Yeah. <laughs> so you did your
3: very best Barry White voice? I
0: tried it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, and like that was my foray. Like, it was kind of killing two birds with one stone. I was like, I should listen to this. And, hey, it makes great background music for yeah, absolutely. For a romantic dinner. Absolutely. So, yeah, which I'm sure that's what he wanted. Yeah, like absolutely. That's, that's what he was aiming for <laughs> yeah, when he did yeah, yeah. it. Some, it's all about the girls. Yeah, yeah. And some, like, uh, w- mid-20s white boy trying <laughs> to impress his girlfriend by making dinner and having him as background music. That's what he strived for in life. So, yeah. All right, sick. So um, this last part... I always say it's for some people it's like, you know, the gap between when they turn 18 to now is very small. And if you're an older gentleman, then the gap between when they turn 18 to now is, you know, covers a lot. So tell us, you know, talk about whatever you want to talk about from the last
3: 20
0: years or so. 20, 30 years. Yeah.
3: Wow. Lots happened. Um, so my musical directions kind of did spider a little bit. Yep. You know, I went into a whole bunch of different different areas. Um, I played in some. Uh, I met a bunch of Jamaican guys, and I ended up playing like a guy who played the steel pan. Wow, a guy from Trinidad, and I ended up playing in a calypso band for a while. Um, doing, I did know that. Yes, yeah, I did know doing that. Doing Like corporate functions and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yep, um, that was a lot of fun. You know, I just did that because it was it was the it was the best fun. I was like. Three chord world music songs, you know, were Limbo and was it was it traditional? It was, tradi- like was traditional? Was traditional? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was. It was pretty mainly traditional sort of you know, songs like Matilda and Dayo okay. and those sort of classic. Yeah. Calypso tunes. Um, what was some of the Mama Look a Boo Boo? All these kind of weird, yeah. kind of hilarious songs, you know. And there was a lot of jamming in that band. You know, it was percussion and. And me being – we're talking about the the white boy, you know, yeah. like me being the one
0: – How did you the get one the gig?
3: Wo- I had a friend who played the st- – I mean there's an embarrassing story to this as well. I had a friend who who was Just know that people pan.
0: love embarrassing stories. Yeah, well, so. there's,
3: there's two-part embarrassing story. Good. We got a gig wandering around Darling Harbour. This,
0: I knew this, yeah.
3: Yeah, he'd, he'd hang the steel pan around his neck and I'd be the – You know, he'd look cool in his tight white pants and his floral shirt. I'd look like the scrawny offsider, yep, you know, (laughs) pasty white boy. Yeah, pants don't fit the same, you know, and the the shirt, the the floral shirt undone, showing my wimpy, scrawny chest,
0: couple of hairs. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, it was all bad. We we did we had a gig where we just would wander it was it paid well. We used to wander around Darling Harbour for three hours for the you know, the, the Japanese tourists and yeah. who'd take photos with you and play music in and out of the shopping centre and then down around the waterfront. Um, and I used to do that uh, a lot with, with, with Pete but through him I got introduced to some other uh, Jamaican characters who we got to play sort of play in some bands yeah. and I can still remember talking about embarrassing stories, my first audition where
0: For these guys Yeah, yeah. where
3: I was just going to play some Bob Marley tunes, you know, just play some reggae and yeah. I had practiced the songs and thinking, oh I'd looked at the chord progressions and gone, yeah only three chords I can, I can do this, yeah, you know Yeah yep not knowing that i'd never actually understood where the chord needed to go in the yeah, in the field in the
0: context of the song yeah and oh, it's, yeah in the, it's
3: it's always in bet- like where the chord has to go is in between the beats so you know yeah. you're going one jink two jink yep. three it's jink. on the off it's on the off beat yeah. everything's got to land in between the beats i went to this first sort of auditioning rehearsal like thing bob Dylan meets i went and played everything on the one yeah and even the police reggae stuff had always been like Jink, 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 jink! Just one, two, three, four. So I had played reggae before because I'd done the, you know, I'd I'd played, I'd played. Can't stand losing you, you know. And it was, it was still all kind of on the beat. It wasn't really everything on the offbeat. And I went to this, (laughs) I went to this uh, audition thing. And um, they were just falling around, killing themselves, laughing, going, nah, man, nah, what the hell is the white boy thing you're doing there, man? Awesome. No rhythm there at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I just got kind of laughed out of the room. And I went back. I was really embarrassed, actually. I went back home and put the the drum machine that we used to use for some of these duo gigs that we had. Yeah. And sat there
0: and practic- and sort of. Dialed up like reggae I preset. Couldn't,
3: couldn't get it right at the rehearsal. Yeah. You know once you've got something in your head and you think this is how it's supposed to go, and I couldn't remove where I thought it was meant to go, uh, so I did the whole rehearsal with just putting things in the wrong spot and sort of walked away with my tail between my legs, yeah. but got it right later at home. Okay, so yeah, I ended up in this in this um sort of corporate function calypso band that's pretty cool. Um, and that was my musical thing for a for a couple of years, yeah. you know? I, that was that was sort of what I did. Um, and then the Hitchcock's Regret thing started. Yep. We d- we released the three records and, and did some shows with some really cool people and got to work with some really nice people. I have a mate called Michael Carpenter who produced a couple of our records. And then I started uh, ma- making a record with him with yep. another side project. And we had this concept where we'd come together at the beginning of a day at the studio and not have a song. Yeah. Um, and we'd <clears> – <throat> out of – just out of a bit of a chat, we'd come up with a line, or someone might have a, a very small snippet and we'd write the song. Sorry, lyrically or musically? L- line? Or either. Okay. It might be one or the other. So yeah. Michael might go, I've got this riff. And this is super hip. Yeah. Yep. And I'd go, I've got this lyric. Yep. And we'd then go, okay, well, we're going to, let's turn that into a song. By about 10 30, 11 o'clock, we'd kind of had to have the song written. Yeah. Then we'd start rehearsing it through a few times. And then we'd record it. And then because he, he plays drums and he plays bass and I'd play guitar yep. and we'd share on some percussion duties and vocal duties and someone might play a few piano chords or whatever. Yeah. And then we'd um by the end of the day, it'd be recorded, mixed and finished. And we'd just go, Oh, okay, in twelve days we're gonna have the album finished over a year's period. Okay. Yeah. So we'd get together once a month, yep, write a song, record rehearse the song, record the song, mix the song. Finished.
0: That's a fantastic idea. Yeah,
3: and it was it was fun. It was just meant to be just an off the cuff thing, and I, we yeah. really enjoyed it. And it was it was based on our our musical loves that were mutual. Yep. Which were you know early McCartney yep. and Beach Boys and those those things that we talked about way in, in the beginning. So that was a whole load of fun, and me and Michael are great mates, and he produced uh, the first two, Hitch, uh, the sorry, the second Hitchcock's regret record, and part of the third, and then Tim Powell's from the Church took over. And then not long after I sort of Hitchcock's Regret started getting some shows and some things started moving forward. Yeah. We were getting some Triple J airplay on that record. Oh, cool. And we went, and went on a tour with the church. We played about um, maybe four shows or something. And then I had a massive health crash. Yeah. And I got really, really sick um, and I had to stop working for quite a while. Yeah. And I couldn't. Tour or to play shows or do anything except try and get better. And by this so,
0: time as well, you 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 had two kids.
3: Yeah, I would have. To, I would, by
0: that point, no, I would have had one at that point. Oh, Chet wasn't okay. Yep, Chet
3: okay. wasn't born. It was just Bronte. Yep. Yeah, and um, I st- You you were probably working at the shop at that point.
0: I just left.
3: You just left. Yeah. Okay,
0: but I, but I was doing weekends. But I just left a full time in a okay. full time capacity and was just doing Saturdays.
3: Yeah. So I stopped working for for a while and it kind of put a bit of a full stop on that record which is a shame because it was just starting to gain some momentum yeah um so that happened and that was at the time a bit frustrating um Mm -hmm. and titchcock's regret splintered it just went kaput after that the guy the the keyboard player who was working with us moved to queensland yeah um David kind of had enough, and Shane wasn't doing as many shows either. So, yeah. it ended up being me and Adam Lang, yep. who you know very well, very very well. Yeah. So, the the shows that we started up again playing after my health after my health improved. Yep ended up being me and Adam and we're still at that point calling it Hitchcock's
0: regret. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Yeah,
3: and Adam was playing in a, in a multi-instrumentalist yeah. sideman thing and he was playing, you know, a drum that was built out of parts of a suitcase and and, 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 and theremins and and, yeah. and 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 lap slide and banjo and he was really, he gets to gigs and just be completely stressed because yeah. he had
0: so much stuff to set up. And it was and you know, especially the drum kit, it wasn't a kit. No, not at all. It was like it was very ad hoc. Yeah. Suitcases with rattles and stuff in them.
3: Yeah, it was a suitcase for a kick drum. It was a biscuit tin for a snare drum. Yeah. With a bike chain inside it. Bike chain, that's right. Yeah. It was a it was like a disc
2: brake for his
3: ride cymbal. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really eclectic. And it strangely enough, when you mic'd it up and he just did his thing on it with me, because we just practiced enough to get some kind of thing going that seemed like it was and kind of cool. Yeah, we ended up playing to shows to to quite big crowds. Yeah. just doing that, and it and it sort of started to find its own it was like something new. Yeah. you know, and I it, it it kind of got me excited enough about music again that I started writing what became uh,
0: the Waiting Room. Yep, which was your first solo album, first solo one. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. So that one then was produced by Tim Powles from yep. the Church. Um, and we did recorded a little bit over at Michael Carpenter's place as well. Yep. And then somehow I came to the attention of um, Arlene Brooks who was the Midnight Oil's publicist. Okay. And she'd been working for them for for years and I think it was through Jim Magini somehow. he'd Yeah, he'd seen a Hitchcock's Regret track called Happiness that was getting played on Triple J. Yep. Or heard it somewhere or seen it on Rage. I think it... The The clip played on Rage and Arlene was looking for a band to manage or someone to manage. Yeah. And Jim had said, hey, look look these guys up. Because this was around also around the time that Midnight Oil had kind of called it... Quits. Yeah. 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 And anyway, I got an email from her. And once again, you can imagine the excitement of yeah. the guy who was this massive Midnight Oil, Jim Magini fan. Yeah. Say, hey, Jim suggested that I, that I drop you a line. So... Arlene ended up managing me through that waiting room period, and she worked yep. really hard to try and get me um, before the album came out to try and get me signed to a new label or something. Yeah, which didn't end up it didn't end up happening. Um, and I ended up releasing the label. On my ended up releasing the album myself. Yeah, with the help of MGM and Tim Powell's. Yeah, doing and we just got, and whatnot. We got the album out that way. Yeah. So
0: I'm sure I, I may not have told you this before, but like. For an album that doesn't fall under a like punk rock umbrella, it's easily in my top ten of all time. Yeah, yeah, that wow. Yeah. That's like it. Like, and maybe it was a time and place thing. Yeah. And like, I still listen. To, I would still listen to it now and think it's just as incredible as I did when I first heard it. But yeah, like there were some. There are songs on that that just level me. We did a show. Yeah,
3: yeah, we did one show where you played double bass with
0: us. No, I played electric electric bass. Okay, and it was. Lizotte's? It was Lizotte's and it was around the time where Nicole got really sick. Okay. And yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and she, I think, it was like I played the show but she was still in hospital. See, there's maybe yeah. a bit of,
3: there's maybe a reason why you got drawn to that record because yeah. I wrote that record while I was really sick. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of that, those songs were, were kind of songs about, the struggle that I was having at the time with my health and yeah. my where my head was at, and yep. the, maybe that's what what maybe lyrically that's what yeah. got you listening to some of that. Like record.
0: I'm I'm almost I'm almost tearing up now. Yeah, thinking well they, about um particularly the song the man. Oh, the man you dreamed the I'd Dream, be. Yeah, the man you dreamed I'd be. Yeah, and um, I'm not gonna. I'm really bad with titles. Um, I'm terrible. I'm the one. The worst. The one. one being I won't even the, remember my own song. The one about the boat, being in the boat. Lifeboat. Thank you. Life, yeah, yeah, see,
3: and both of those, that song if you only if I could only ever be the man you dreamed I'd be. You know, they they're, they're songs that I wrote at the bottom of the yeah. the bottom of the bottom the depths of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Lifeboat was the same. Yeah. You know, so yeah, maybe that's that's why you like cuz you were going through stuff as well. Yeah. And that 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 lifeboat song was about that that was kind of how I felt, you know. That was yeah. like a total lost at sea song coming from a lost at sea person. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't that that, that seems like another that just seems like another life to me now. It's so yeah. long ago. And it's funny. I I find it hard to play those songs now. Okay. I don't do them much anymore. I because just Because you're in a better
0: place or
3: yeah, or I find it hard to to imagine that I felt that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I I think that's part of that's part of what it is, and maybe sometimes there's somewhere in my head that doesn't want to revisit that. it. Yeah, I still play M- "Man You Dreamed I'd Be," and I play a couple of songs off that album, maybe that aren't that don't have some of those l- yeah. darker lyrical themes. Yeah, but there's some places with those songs I can't take them to where they're supposed to go anymore. Yeah. I think you know, and I've I've sort of dumped them from the from yeah. the set list,
0: which completely makes sense because. You know, it's 10 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, like, even maybe a little bit more. Yeah, well, you would have been writing over 10 years ago. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. The album would have been out about 10-ish. Pro- probably, yeah. Yeah, so.
3: yeah no, it's, it's um, <clears throat> time flies. It so, yeah, there was that record. There was that little period then where I was being managed by Arlene. Then I decided... Like those those records that I made, I made with um, Tim Powers and Michael and different people came in and played on them. Yep. And a lot of them were, were my friends. But I decided, okay, this the net record after that, I want to take it right back to when I just got to hang out with my friends and make music. Yeah. Because that's, that's to me – and that's the reason now why I'm the only reason I make music. Yeah. By the time you've gotten to this age, you've got no delusions yeah. of – you know, <laughs> yeah. grandeur, or yeah. that I'm gonna make the record that's gonna change. You know,
0: and even if it did, what does that mean? Like, nothing. financially? Yeah, no, like, no, nothing. You know, that you're yeah. not gonna get. You know, you're not gonna go from driving to gigs to flying to gigs, kind of thing. Like, there's still no, no not no money to make. But yeah, if like, you're not
3: if you're not doing it because you're having a good time, yeah, then you're wasting your time. Yeah, doing it. Yep. Especially now, you know, when you've got a family and other responsibilities and all that sort of stuff. So but,
0: yeah, but no one's, no one's buying CD, so you've got to tour it. Yeah. But how much do you want to tour? And is touring an option kind of thing? Yeah, at, you've got to, you know, you've got to juggle all that stuff. Yeah.
3: yeah. So I um, decided oh, I'm going to make a record and I'm going to make it the easiest way I can make it. I'm going to make it the most fun way that I can make it yeah. and we're going to do it quick. Yeah, good. Yeah, and we we went into um, we hired a house in in um the North Shore, yep, out near the beach at Avalon, and we just Scott and Jamie came and play, Jamie played electric guitar and produced. Yep. And he'd had all this success with Blue Bottle and Blue Bottle was now over as well, and Jamie was doing some producing and releasing solo records. Yep. Um, and he came and produced. Scott came and played drums. Jamie played guitar. Um, Adam played everything else. Adam played a whole bunch <laughs> yeah. of stuff. I played acoustic and sang and and there um, Jamie's brother-in-law, Jamie and Scott's brother-in-law who'd married their sister Sophie who's now a very successful concert pianist. Okay. Um, she, the, the, uh, He came and played double bass. Yeah, cool. And we recorded it live in the house and each member of the band was just in a room, you know, double bass in the toilet and yep. someone in the lounge room and leads going everywhere and we recorded it in four days or something. That's fantastic. Just, just quick yeah. you know, and live. Yeah. No, minimal overdubs, a little bit of horns and yep. some back – like someone came in and played trombone and someone played um, trumpet. Um, Jochen Kutsch played trumpet. Um, okay. Uh, he plays in some bands that you – there's some – There's some. There's, I think he knows probably some people you know. Okay. Um, that's another story. Yeah. Um, and – yeah, I w- we just made it fun and fast. Yeah, yeah, and then that got released back on Laughing Outlaw Records, who yeah, hadn't right. done my the one in between or the last two because you did that one yourself. Yeah, I did yeah. them. Did one on on Tim Powell's label, and I did one myself. Yeah, so this ended up back on Laughing Outlaw. So I kind of did the the whole turnaround and back to where it started.
0: Yeah, full circle. Which yeah, is what it's all about.
3: Yeah, which was which was great, and I had a ball making that record. And it's probably still my most. It's the record that I would probably most go back to. Like you know, you say, "Oh, for you, it's the waiting room." Yeah, that, the one that I go back to all the time is, is that, that, that one. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, it's probably because it was, was the last. Yeah, but yeah, I've now finished the next, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm I, I, it's done. It was record, finished recording it about a year ago. Okay, I had no idea. Once again, we recorded really fast. So we did it over four days. Okay. Um, And then one day, I think, of just some overdubbing, just some percussion and stuff. Recorded it live again with the same band. Same J- Jamie producing again. In a house same or, engineer, or studio? Um, in a house. Okay, but same this time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except this time it was someone was living in the house. It wasn't a holiday home that we could just kind of, that was empty. Yeah, sloth out in. Yeah. This time it was Ruben's, the bass player, his mother's house. Okay, right. So we were now pushing coffee tables against the walls and standing up mattresses and beds and... Snaking cables through the entire house while w- someone was living there. Whilst she was there, sitting on the couch, wow. <laughs> sort of with her friend who was also ha- who who was living there at the time, and the two of them just sat there till late at night, off and just listening to us do the do the takes. That's and, pretty cool and stuff. It was a lot of fun. She was cooking for us and make because she you know I've got all these stupid dietary, dietary requirements, requirements yeah. and <laughs> she was making me my grain free bread and you know no sugar and all those things that I have to do. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was a, that was really really good fun, but it's taken a like a, I recorded it a year ago. Yeah, and it's taken this long for the mix. So the guy who's engineering it is a doctor, and right. he um is really 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 busy because he just had a baby as as well. Yeah, and his life's completely changed. And his job is high pressure. He's all he's off giving lectures and doing all kinds of things. yeah, and he's just been able to mix maybe a song. Yeah, a and grabs. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the mix has been really slow. But it's coming. Sick. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I can't wait either. I forgot. I've not listened to it.
0: Yeah. So I,
3: I've not heard a single mix.
0: You have to go relearn the songs.
3: Yeah, I've, I've actually said to them, oh, I'm going to walk away. Yeah. And I want you guys to mix it. And I've got complete faith in whatever yep. you're going to do. And come and play it to me when it's done.
0: That's fantastic.
3: Yeah, so I, I get to hear it like a, a punter almost. Yeah, and just put it on for the first time and and hear it as a as a whole.
0: That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Any any re- any pencilled in release date? I'm really hoping early next year. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. We're talking about the posable or. I'm thinking funded. about doing a yeah, yeah. crowdfunding thing because this
3: is the first time you know, that I'm going to be paying for pressing yeah. by myself, and I'm thinking about doing a limited vinyl and limited CD yeah. release. And I've paid for everything up until this point. Paid yeah. for you know whatever the, the the, artwork and the and the, um, uh, mastering yeah. and the, the recording, um, but yeah I, I, to get it over the line I think I'm going to need a, a bit of help yeah we'll see how that goes I'm, I'm I say that with great trepidation Oh,
0: you'll be sweet it makes me very nervous I can un- like I can understand because it's your baby yeah. But you know, as we spoke about before, we re- hit record. Like, one of your friends did nearly twice what he needed. Yeah, hoped, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, it's my it, fingers are my it's fingers across. Yeah,
3: I'll just I, I have visions, you know of, of
0: five hundred dollars. In, yeah, in three and just t- tumbleweeds rolling yeah. <laughs> past
3: the the website, you know, the the page. Yeah yeah so no, we'll see,
0: see. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> awesome, so is it before we pick your last before we go into your last song, is there anything else you want to talk about or plug even besides your new album that the, to be honest, that's the, no
3: I'd probably, i probably we the one of the coolest things I did, yeah. which I've just done laid on me that was the what you what you know, oh, two yeah, months of course. ago yeah. we, I, I did something I've never done in my life. We got invited to go and play a festival in France, which is amazing. yeah, so got to take the whole band um that was incredible and i won't you know we've we've talked enough yeah but there's a whole bunch of stories that go with that if anyone wants to read the the tour diary that i wrote there you know if okay. you type in mark Moldre tour diary on i'll like, post it on all the socials yeah, yeah yeah you can you can find the whole the whole shebang there but that was probably one of the most incredible musical experiences i've ever had and i got to do it with With my friends, yeah, and and, lifelong friends, yeah, yeah, having a good time.
0: And so, when you guys, when you said you were going to France, I was like, oh, I mean, that's fantastic. Like, don't get me wrong, but I envisioned—I didn't envision like you know you were you were blessed enough to have your expenses paid. Yep. But you know, expenses paid is fantastic. But like, if you play in front of seven people, it might sour the experience. But like on your desk that was in the room that we're sitting in right now. There's a fantastic photo. Like, the place is fucking chockers.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Like, the, t- the, and I'll, I'll quickly explain this to you, but the town itself is the festival site. Yeah, okay. So, military come in because of all the terrorism in France. They surround the whole town. You can't wow. drive a car in. The whole town becomes the festival site. There's three, and certainly a small fishing village. Yeah. And they set up uh, three stages. Yep. And, the people just pour in. I think he said there was between this year between sixty and seventy thousand people. Wow. So when I played my first show, um, we probably I thought this was Saturday night. I had a really good spot, and I was like, "Oh, fantastic!" There's there's a good crowd here tonight. We're going to have a great show tomorrow. And there was probably about two thousand people squashed into the town centre. You know, yeah. they're all standing on the roundabout on the road because that's how it is. It's like yeah. just on the streets. Um, and I kind of thought, oh, wow, that's going to be the highlight of the festival. The next day was a Sunday and I was first band up, you know, so it was like 11 in the morning or, or 12 or something and it was already starting to, to sprinkle, it was yeah. raining a bit and I sort of thought, oh, this isn't... People this aren't is going to come out. Yeah, yeah everyone's going to be in bed still. and <laughs> Hungover. And I was backstage, with, you know, waiting to go on and when I walked out and came on stage, there was, there was a reasonable crowd but by the time I was about three songs in... As f- there were just people as far as I could see, yeah, which is what what you're talking about in that photo. There's a lot of people. Yeah, it was it was incredible. I, I, I don't know how many, but it was the biggest crowd I've ever played to. Yeah, and our, the, our CDs sold out in four minutes after the show. Which so it was insane. an experience like you've like I've never had in Australia, and um, yeah, the appreciation and the hospitality of the French people. As, as you'll read, if you go to my if, if if you can handle any more Moldre speak after look, this long chat,
0: you should be you should be <laughs> clicking links now.
3: It's um it, you you'll hear me describe what an incredible experience it was. It was That's something I'll just never ever forget. So yeah, hopefully my fingers are crossed we get back there sometime. Awesome. Yeah. What do we go with? Ah, uh, yeah, good question. I've forgotten. Okay, I had I had to finish with this. You know that I love Tom Waits. Yes. Um, so I, want, I really wanted to finish. It was a big choice for me between a Wilco song or a Tom Waits song because yep. when I talk about the bands that I discovered later in life and once again, you know, we talked about going through this road and changing pace and, and stuff yeah. that you like and as your life changes, your, your musical taste changes. Shift, yeah. Yeah. Um, and mine definitely morphed about, I don't know, 10 or so years ago where I sort of got into that, into a kind of listening to a lot of folk music, yeah. and I got back into listening to a lot of Dylan, and and I discovered probably one of my last discoveries was was Wilco. Yep, you know, and started listening to a lot of their stuff and saw them live
0: quite a few times. You gave me the album Foxtrot. Trot. No, Yankee Hotel Fox Yankee Trot. Hotel Foxtrot. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, and yeah. I I listened to it, but I don't think I was at the I don't think I was in the right, right headspace. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and probably my favorite album of theirs now is the one that came after that, which is
3: The okay. Ghost Is Born. Right, okay. I love that record. That's that's probably my favourite Wilco moment. Um, but I, I chose a Tom Waits song to finish. Um, through Tom Waits I discovered probably my now f- sort of guitarist maybe that I look up to more than anybody else, which is a guy named Mark Rebo, okay. who I got to see a couple of years ago do a small show in Sydney. Um, Was he? How did he fit into the Tom Waits world? So he played guitar on quite a few Tom Waits records okay. um, and he's got a, such a distinctive attack on the guitar yeah but once again comes from some kind of jazz classical hybrid background but then for tom waits he kind of created this twisted angular way of playing yeah that i just that just when i discovered him i was like ah, oh, well yeah this is the way i want to try and this is what, this I'm is what i been to play for. yeah yeah so i ended up listening to a lot of his solo projects okay um he's a fantastic guitar player um, but yeah, the song he's got a great solo on it from him as well, um, and it's, it's off a Tom Waits album called
0: Real Gone. Okay, and it's called Hoist That Rag. Fantastic. Let's end it with that. Hey, thank you so much for putting up with a all the bullshit to get this thing sorted. Because again, it took an hour and a half of fucking around. It, it too took long. a while to get the to, yeah, the, technology to get the technology working. Technology working. The we had to get the scientists in, but they came eventually. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you so much. Pleasure. Um, it was a good fun. Yeah, It, it was is. good fun. It was good to chat. Yeah. And we got to tell stories you hadn't heard before. Which still level me. <laughs> like still level me. So, yeah. So, Tom Waits. Hoist that rag. Hoist that rag. Thank you so much.
2: That's it. We done it.
0: thanks for listening hope you enjoyed it it was a long episode hope you got a bit out of it um, Mark's choices were fantastic as expected um, the the man can talk the man has a voice on him uh, I'm going to instead of the usual um, Leonard Cohen everybody knows outro which is probably playing under this as you listen but um, when I finish my little outro spiel I'm going to play one of Mark's songs that we talk a lot about in the episode because I think it's, I th- you know, I think it needs to be heard. It needs to kind of, hopefully it hits you in the feels the same way it always seems to hit me in the feels. Um, the song is If I'd Only Be The Man You Dreamed I'd Be. Um, it's off Mark's album, The Waiting Room, which came out a few years ago. Uh, I'm sure you can buy it. I'll post all the links for um, Mark's socials and whatnot. And if you dig what you hear, let him know. Say good day, chuck a like, chuck a follow, do all that stuff. Um yeah again if you think this episode's worth a dollar paypalme myagepodcast and uh spread the love just all you know tell someone tell someone how cool the podcast is if you think it's cool or if you think it's okay um if you feel the need to review or whatever I don't think it means anything I think you know whatever it's appreciated but I don't think it it doesn't boost anything um, it's just a, it's a scam, but you know, it's a nice little ego kick slash scam. So whatever. Um, cool. Man you dreamed to would be by Mark Maldre. Peace.
2: I wish I could capture just a. Week. I am reading Cause I'm lying here bleeding And if these tiny faces Make their way back to Kansas In the eye of a windstorm Cause I'm lying Start digging deeper, past these railway sleepers, to my hidden treasure. If I get only Yes, I'm settled this morning. You make it all safe somehow I wish I could fly Cause I'd pick you up and find A place that you deserve